a good Thursday morning to you. It's been a while since we've had a 7 o'clock start to the show, which I know might shock some people. Um, we're Jake scrambling, but right now we're in scramble mode. He's literally the first one in the studio today, too. Really? He, he beat me in here, and he still didn't have a headset. Right what, uh, what, what brought the promptness on this Thursday morning? Uh, I I guess I just hit every light. <laughs> I don't know. But here's what I don't understand. <clears throat> Here comes the excuse every time you cannot locate the headset. No, it's not an excuse. But I'm the only one. And I, but I'm the only one. No. In this studio, for those that are unaware, the, the studio desk, if you will, is a, is a circle. Okay? And, and my seat is at... Five o'clock on the circle. You were at seven o'clock. Mark Dykton is at noon. Okay. It's a great visual you're painting right now. Thank you. Well, that's what we do on radio. It's the it's the theater of the mind, Kevin. Now, JMV sits in your seat when he does his show. Dan sits in your seat when he does his show. Those are the local programs in this building for this station. Maybe Eddie White was in your seat last night. So that must be it in the Pacers postgame show. Eddie White must use this seat as opposed to over there. But why would he remove the headsets? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Come on, Eddie. Watch this. Watch what I'm going to do to Jake. It does feel like there might be some bleach on this headset. So, yes. (laughs) Um, But Eddie White last night was talking about getting you closer to some cash, right? I'll tell you what. Seven and six now on the year. This has been a terrific start from a win-loss standpoint and really just an excitement standpoint, I would say, for the Pacers this season. Another really strong fourth quarter. They beat the Hornets last night on the road. You know, I've had this weird feeling, Jake, about Saturday night against the Raptors and then last night. I went on Charlotte Radio yesterday afternoon, and I'm like, I kind of expect the Pacers to win tonight. And I felt that way Saturday with the Raptors. The Saturday game, it was Toronto on a back-to-back, and Toronto was missing a couple of guys. Last night, though, yes, no Gordon Hayward, but I just felt like the Pacers were better than the Hornets going into the game, and it kind of surprised me that they got down early, great run to end the first half, uh, and then the start to the fourth quarter by Benedict Mather, and I thought was huge. Uh, and really contributions by everybody. And this is a team right now that I cannot, and I'm sure you feel this too, Jake, I cannot express to you how many people on a nightly basis reach out and are like, this is fun to watch. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a small minority that's like, we aren't tanking well. At the beginning of the year, and I don't know if this was just a new approach, new regime, you know, I, I don't know. But at the beginning of the year, the Pacers had kind of a, a a meet and greet, a gathering, a, a luncheon, I don't know what you want to call it, with the Pacers brass. And they basically had, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30 media people that of those that could make it down because it was kind of an odd time of the day. But um, to come down and then they just kind of gave a state of the state for the franchise. And they... They basically said, hey, here's the deal. This is a total, like, start from the bottom up rebuild with young players, and we're going to struggle for a while, and we're gonna, we, we need you to understand that and have some patience with us. We're a work in progress. It's basically what they said. And so, I mean, I think the message was pretty clear of we need you to relay to our fans 
that we need some patience here. And that's why you heard so many narratives from Bob to here to, you know, every Kravitz everywhere of basically telling people that because they were being totally transparent about here's exactly what we're doing. And then, Kevin, I think they realize we've got some pretty good players. And I'm not saying that they're going for it this year, but I think they, they thought to themselves, I, we can quote unquote tank or whatever else, but we're not going to, we're not going to throw games. And they are too talented to not win some of these games. Period. A huge reason why I made the little wager that I did. Jake, they were closing games with Kiefer Sykes and Terry Taylor last year. Yeah. On a nightly basis. Now they're closing games with, you know, young, talented players. And then in Miles Turner and Buddy Heald's case, two guys that now that Turner's back from injury, they are making very strong cases to be arguably the most attractive trade pieces at the deadline. And I think a storyline we'll continue to talk about, and I know we mentioned it yesterday, you know, do you keep Buddy Heald? And then something I want to ask Scott Agnes when we have him on later, I am curious, I, I'm pretty sure the Pacers have done this before, but I want to double check with Scott. Have they ever offered Miles Turner a contract extension? Has it ever been put in front of Turner and he said, I'm good. Right. Let's continue to play things out. And I want to test free agency for the first time in his NBA career. He's eight years into the league, never been a free agent. So, you know, those are some thoughts running through my head. Last night, a fourth straight double-double for Turner. That is just the second time in his NBA career. He has had four straight double See, doubles. I think Turner is playing right now at a level where it's like, hey, now that he has guys that that kind of are more catered, I guess, around what he what you can do with him, does he factor into this is a guy that we can run with? And does and, he and, want to factor well, that in too. to that? Um, again, the consistency with Turner, that's the biggest word that has been missing, really, throughout his NBA career. Uh, that is something to note. How pretty is the Benedict Matherin floater? Uh, he's a man, isn't he? 20 last night for Matherin. 20 in 22 minutes. Yeah, I mean, really good player. I thought it was a nice stat they threw up there um, on the broadcast. By the way, no David West for Jeremiah Johnson last night. Did you see, though, uh, a Jeremy Lamb sighting inside the building? I liked Jeremy Lamb. Yeah. Notably, because as I right about this time a year ago, remember Kevin, I came in and said, "Yeah, Jeremy Lamb was in line to see Santa at the mall with his kids." <laughs> I do remember that? Yeah, was he on the UConn national title team that beat Butler? He was. He God, was. My eyes are still bleeding from that game. That was. Remember, there was like a nine-minute stretch where nobody hit mm-hmm. a shot. Like, can Chase DeGaulle bank one in to get things <laughs> back on track here? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeremy Lamb in the building last night. Um, but Matherin, the big stretches to start the second, the fourth. Um, and I like that O'Shea Brissett is now back in the rotation. He's a guy that I always felt like you know, could be a ninth or tenth man. And uh, he gave the Pacers some nice minutes last night. Uh, this is a good little Thursday night matchup. Tonight, kind of the crossover with the AFC and the NFC. Titans and Packers that is a good from game. Lambeau. The Packers, you know, oddly... You think of the Packers still as like, oh, they, what are they like seven and two, six? And three? Well, they're not. They've struggled, but it's still the Packers, right? Sure. Aaron Rodgers still has that ability to kind of flip a switch. One would think, and you know Tennessee, kind of the same thing. Tennessee's the opposite. Tennessee's the one that you always think is pretty mediocre, and then you're like, oh, they're actually pretty good. Yeah, I think going into Sunday, there is this 
hope and intrigue with Colts fans that I don't think has been at this level perhaps all season long. If the Titans lose tonight, you know, you offer this kind of 48 hour period where it's like, hmm, what if Indy wins? I mean, Tennessee, they definitely have the easier schedule than the Colts down the stretch. There are still some games that. Um, are, are very difficult on our schedule. I believe the Colts have the second hardest schedule the rest of the way. So, you know, Indy still plays a tougher slate to end things. Um, you're going to need Tennessee to slip up a whole lot, but uh, this is a game that you would qualify as a you're not expecting the Titans to win this game uh, because basically you've got to get to nine. You've got to go five and two in your final seven. Tennessee's already got six wins, and they play, I think, Jacksonville. I want to say they play Jacksonville and Houston combined three more times. You got to think that could be three wins right there, and if they get to nine and you're at nine, well, with the tie, um, they would obviously have the tiebreaker. Titans over you. got some tough games though, at the Packers tonight. Then they host the Bengals, at the Eagles, Jaguars, Titans, Texans, Cowboys, Jaguars. There's a few ones. Yeah, on there. there are a few roadblocks. I think I saw you know one of those graphics thrown up. Schedule strength the rest of the way. I think Tennessee was at twentieth. Uh, the Colts were at second, the second hardest. Speaking of things in which, Kevin, that you forecasted in the daytime and then, of course, it happened that night, I didn't realize this, and it's funny because you mentioned the number 70. I remember specifically yesterday when we were talking about Notre Dame taking on Southern Indiana, I think you said there might be 70 students there. I, I, I swear that was the number you threw out. And I'm on Twitter last night, and I see a Notre Dame writer that says, I think there are 70 students here. And that was probably stretching it. Was it bad? It, they've extended the scores table, which helps. Cause I think it gets more people in the building. You've got more statisticians. It, it, it helps. Now, I guess there was a winter storm warning up in northern Indiana last night. Did you see some of the highlights of the Maction games? How much snow? Central Michigan? Well, that's Michigan. It starts. It's been oh, snowing I mean, there for three weeks. Pretty much Notre Dame. Pretty yeah, much South you're right. Bend. You're right. Uh, yeah, it was uh, ugly. Luckily, the shooting was kind of hot for Notre Dame. They really weren't threatened by Stan Gerard in Southern Indiana. Uh, they're three and zero. The Irish, right? Three and zero. Yes, they win last night. Uh, their non-conference schedule isn't anything too too difficult. They do have Michigan State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge coming up. Indiana's got a big one tomorrow at Xavier. That's that's Sean Miller, Xavier. That's right. That man sweats and can coach and Speaking can of, cheat. He, he is a good coach. Speaking of a guy that I don't know about sweats, but can run a mile, you know, eight miles a minute. Did you see the clip that's kind of gone? I, I wouldn't say viral, but a lot of people sent it to me from, and it would have aired within these radio stations, but Tom Allen with with uh, Don oh, Fisher. He was fired up. That would have been last night after the Pacer game, right? Inside talking about, Yeah, talking about the NIL stuff. But he was talking so fast I couldn't understand him. He, he was like, and I know that people get on me for dated Seinfeld references, but there's an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer gets free cafe lattes for for life. Mark knows what I'm talking about. And he's walking down the street, and Jerry runs into him, and he's like, "Are you telling me I can't have a cafe latte?" Because I'm, and he's speaking so fast, you know. And Jeremy's like, "You got to, or Jerry, you got to slow down." That's what Tom Allen sounded like last night. It wasn't as raspy as I'm used to. I, but he was literally. I, I, I'm not kidding you when I tell you, like it needed to be subtitled. I couldn't understand him. Am I being too critical here? 
Uh, I watched it. I don't know if the speed of the clip was different than yours was. I I, I could understand him. He was basically talking about how the name image likeness factor in college football is here to stay, and Indiana's got to get on board, and they've done a decent job with it, but they've got to up the ante. Is that essentially what he was saying? Basically, he alluded to several times just Ohio State is on an entirely different playing field than Indiana when it comes to the money and the collectives from a name, image, likeness standpoint. Um, Where I would just push back a little bit is when NIL entered the picture, Indiana was not on a level playing field with Ohio State at all, on the field anyways. Correct. So there's a level of you needed your program to be at a close well, level to the others in your conference. A, a fan of Ohio State University has incentive and proof of value of making a contribution to an NIL hopper for the Ohio State football program, whereas an Indiana fan's like, Why? I honestly thought the rant from Allen last night, and this is with Don Fisher, is what I've been saying a little bit about his future. People don't care about IU football enough to fork over the money for that buyout. Right. Well, that's the thing. is, And I don't know, from what I can understand of it, he wasn't poo-pooing the NIL stuff, right? He was saying, like, this is an arena that we've got to get serious about. It's here to stay. Yeah, and I think a little pleading to... The IU fan base of we need more. And I found it very difficult to fully get behind because, again, I don't think the on-field product has been at the level to where IU fans necessarily should be inclined to empty their pockets. The irony of the situation, Kevin, the irony of Tom Allen talking about or, or, and I don't want to put words in his mouth here, but, but the appearance or insinuation that he's asking boosters to come up with the money for nil the irony of that is let's be real nine out of ten indiana fans if they're going to give money to the indiana football program it's going to be because they're wanting to contribute to the buyout of tom allen you've right got now. to stop That's it a great point. You're, you're all hopped up on the caffeine well, i feel like i'm talking a little faster but it's very hard to tell <laughs> you're racing <laughs> well i got things to do i'll see you later bye <laughs> see mark you knew what i was talking about right usually you want to throw like a throat lozenger at him i guess yeah last night jake was hoping to kind of but does that make sense what I'm yeah. I mean, nothing yeah. against him i you know no, look, he's a wonderful guy but l- l- i mean there's no way to say that without it coming off as a slight but it's reality right um no i think that's well said again indiana Michigan State this weekend on the gridiron. Purdue and Northwestern. Just a reminder, again, Purdue went out, beat Northwestern, beat Indiana, and then Iowa is the team that they need to lose a game. Iowa's got Minnesota and Nebraska. Something I want to get to a little bit later today, Jake, maybe we can do it in the 730 segment. We've talked a lot about the future at quarterback here at Indianapolis. Just how Frank Reich and Chris Boward have gone about that. Right. The guy on the visiting sideline this weekend, I think qualifies as the one of the more notable quarterback names that Ballard and Reich disagreed on when he came out of college. And which one was in favor? Should we tease that for 730? That's a good tease, yeah. So one of the two... Very intrigued by Jalen Hurts. The other one, not intrigued. By Jalen Hurts. Okay. The The quarterbacking situation with the Colts, we've kind of gotten away from that just because of 
the what are we going to call the Ellinger two game period experiment tryout um, expedition Ellinger's expedition and has Ellen has Ellinger been able to pull the expedition back in the garage and turn off the engine or are they saying yeah, keep the engine running we might let you take it back out for a spin it's like Matt Ryan doesn't get hurt so unless he gets benched again unless the owner it's feeling like, yeah, you know what? Let's bench him again. We'll go back to Ellinger. If if Matt Ryan is benched again, do they go to Ellinger, or does Jeff Saturday say, no, man, I'm I want to win games? Yeah, one thing going back to the yeah, the, the, you bring that up, Jake. You know when Jim Mercer wanted Matt Ryan benched, if he was still thinking about winning in the short term and trying to keep this season on some sort of a level ground, why not go to Nick Foles? Right. That's what I mean. Yeah, that that was kind of one that was head scratching to me. Again, I'm I'm good with going with youth because I think we've seen a Nick Foles, but for Jim Mercer to, you know, think that that was going to be an upgrade there, um, I think Parks Frazier and how you handled things last week of just hey, tons of protection on that offensive line, keep a running back in, keep a tight end in, and you know let our veteran quarterback um, just try and process with a clean pocket. I think that's the path. That I, again, I go back to, I don't to have it. a problem. I've never had a problem with them going and seeing what they had in Sam Ellinger. But it's one of two things. You are either going with Sam Ellinger because you feel like he is a diamond in the rough that you can unleash on the NFL and this is your ace in the whole secret weapon that turns your year around. Or you've done it because... You feel the year is a wash, and you are looking to the future. It, it had to be one of those two reasons. And because of the fact that Matt Ryan seemingly could have been able to play, and they said he that it was not because of injury that he was being benched, to me that led me to believe, okay, they have thrown in the towel, and they are looking to the future. They're looking to see what they have. They are assessing things. You... Then they make the coaching change, and they put Ryan back in, and it's like, wait, what? Like, did somebody just grab the steering wheel back? That's what it felt like. The car was, like, swerving all over the road because you had two different people that were trying to grab the steering wheel. And one guy got kicked out of the car. Enjoyed catching up with Nick Sirianni yesterday. He had a conference call with members of the indie media. Um, I think one thing about Monday night with the Eagles that is of huge advantage to the Colts entering Sunday, the Eagles did not just lose on Monday night. They got beat up, physically beat up. Their defense was on the field for 83 snaps. And just to kind of put that into comparison, um, the Colts' defense has not had a game of that many snaps since 2015. So they physically got beat up on Monday. Now it's a short week. I mean, it's not massive travel, but you're still getting on a plane on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Fletcher Cox, you know, one of their veteran guys, kind of one of their pillar players, was super candid yesterday about, I feel like, bleep. Like, I mean, that is that was taxing Monday night, how Washington just ran it at them all night long, the defense on the field for a huge chunk of that game, 40 of 60 minutes. 
And that is, I think, what gives... I know, Jake, you've had optimism about this matchup for several weeks. My optimism has grown based off what happened Monday. And not did, just Philly losing. Did it was Monday the manner. expose Philadelphia or ignite Philadelphia? Did it wake them up or did it expose them? Ignited them mentally, exposed them physically. Okay. Yes, I mean, they are a locked in. They're, they're, they're going to have... I think a different shift in mindset, but I cannot stress enough how much they just got beat up. We'll talk with uh, Dave Zangrano in the 9 o'clock hour, covers the Eagles. Um, Dallas Goddard, one of the better tight ends of the NFL, went on injured reserve after Monday night. So I think that is something to keep an eye on for Sunday. It's The run defense for Philly is probably their biggest weakness. Uh, They signed a veteran defensive lineman yesterday in hopes of trying to kind of, you know, get a handle on things and I said to Sirianni I go I I don't know if you felt this way and Nick is such a down-to-earth guy that I I knew he would you know wouldn't push back on this sort of question being asked I go I don't know if you felt this way Nick about Monday night but I watched that game and thought that was what the Colts did to the Chiefs in 2019 at Arrowhead the ball control right heavy Marlon Mack all of that. And Maintain Nick, the flow the entire time. Exactly. The ball control, low scoring, a little bit of a low a low, low scoring or a low possession game is probably how I should word it. And Nick was like, that's that that's what I told our team of this is what we did in Indy at times, and now this is going to be the blueprint that teams are going to try and copycat week in and week out. And until we stop it, we're going to see it. They've uh, allowed over 140 rushing yards in each of the last three games. Do you, do you like the eagle helmet that has the eagle head on it or the eagle helmet with the wings? Didn't we have a question about the eagle helmet being the only like left hand? What was the... There was something left no, with That was it. the Pacers logo. No, the Pacers logo is left-handed. The eagle's helmet... An uh, eye is, on it or something? Or it's the I, only helmet, is it not, that faces to the left. That's what it was. Uh, give me the wings. I, I would agree with that. I I played at the Jordan YMCA Youth Football. The first football team that I played on, I, we were the Eagles, and all of the dads got together. They got our helmets, of course, at Emro Sporting Goods. Uh, I didn't get a Rydell helmet. Those were the really cool ones, but... Um, but we all had white helmets, and the dads like all got together and painted them green, and then used like silver metallic tape to facsimilate the eagle wings on the side. Oh, it's like the Notre Dame students painted them gold. Yeah, the night those the things game. were so sweet. Those helmets. I think the chip, the, the paint started chipping off about halfway through the year, but that's okay. <laughs> halfway through the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, that's right, <laughs> Mister Jones. You didn't get the right paint. <laughs> it's tough to make it stick to those Emro helmets, but hey, they look cool though. You think I should? Try and talk Maddie into fine dinner with how this Pacers season's starting and that and that wager. Am I counting a little bit too many of the eggs here, or counting the chickens? I should say. Um, or should I feel pretty good about seven and six through thirteen games? I think you should feel pretty good. I mean, you need thirty, right? I need thirty. But again, I need to stress, Jake. Part of my thought process was. I need to get ahead early in the season if and when they make these trades at the deadline. Now, the trade deadline is more like 50 games into the season, not necessarily at the midway point. But I, I thought to myself, I, I need to get to the trade deadline and only need a few games after that. And right now, they're on pace for that. Right now, if the playoffs started today, the Pacers would literally be in the playoffs. Not even in the play-in. Yeah, they're the six, right? 
I think they'd be the sixth seed. Sixth seed, yep. By the way, Pat Boylan was the one that was in the seat last night. So I'm cool with that because I like Pat's cool. Well, it, no bleach then. I should just no bleach. That's right. I should just let Pat know. He just doesn't need to put the headsets like back over in the other end of the the other corner of the room when he's done. He can just leave them right here. It's cool. It, I, he probably brings his own though. Joel Erickson at eight o'clock. He's Scott a professional broadcaster. Agnes at eight thirty. Dave Zangrano at nine. I don't even know if we said good morning. Good Thursday morning, <laughs> the listeners. Yeah, we got right into Kevin it. Accord. Yeah, we did get uh, right in. Another, another chilly start. A little bit. We got more snow last night, right? Or at least just a little like, dusting. Yep. Yeah, more of a dusting. Um, but the roads were fine on this Thursday morning. The Colts injury report, a few more names on it than last week, so we'll hit on that. And again, we'll get into the Eagles conversation and the Colts' interest around Jalen Hurts. I think a name that Frank Reich and Chris Bauer did not see eye-to-eye on when he came out of uh, Oklahoma a couple years back. Good Thursday morning to you. Thanks for tuning in. Kevin and Query, 93.5107.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, we'll lead off with exactly that. How about Ball State last night? Chirp, chirp. 71-61 winners over Omaha. Michael Lewis's group now 2-1. and one. Jalen Wyndham had 15. Uh, Jalen Sellers and Demarius Jacobs, 12 each for the cards. Elsewhere in college basketball, Chicago State over Valpo 87-74. It was Southeast Missouri over Evansville 67-61. Notre Dame over Southern Indiana. Much to the, to the delight of Kevin Bowen. 82-70 in front of 82. As a matter of exactly. Fact. Right. 82 people total. Uh, Butler St. Francis tonight at Hinkle. Uh, professionally, it was the Pacers 125-113 over the Hornets last night. They are now 7-6 and six on the year. That is above 500 for the first time since Nate Bjorkren was on the sidelines. February, for the one year, right? February 2021. Correct. Uh, the Pacers had lost six straight to Charlotte. Before last night, uh, tied in during the fourth quarter. Benedict Mather in a big start to the fourth. Starters got back in there uh, with about six minutes to go and, and had a great close to that one. Miles Turner, his fourth straight double double. Tyrese Halberton, 22 and 11. Here was Rick Carlisle afterwards on the Pacers' seventh win of the season. Pretty even game, and fourth quarter, we just we got up to a great start. Uh, Mather got us off to a great start. I think a five-point lead, and just we're able to kind of keep chipping away at them. Uh, you know, we're showing some signs of some improvement defensively. You know, 50-point second half is pretty good against this team that can score. Real um, contributions from 10 guys. Going to keep working on getting better every day. Now, I thought it was cool that he did that next to Ursay's Jet. Yes, correct. Yep. Flew down uh, it's just there. about the readiness and the togetherness. Ah, <laughs> Coach Bjorkren, it's been a while. Uh, speaking, by the way, of the Colts' Jet, Colts' injury report from yesterday. Yeah, a few more names on it. No Quiddy Pay with that ankle injury that he uh, got hurt uh, during the Raiders game with. Um, no Luke Rhodes. The Rhodes family welcomed a baby into the world, uh, I believe, on Tuesday. But Luke, the long snapper, dealing with a calf injury. So... Something to keep an eye on for the Colts' operation this week from a kicking standpoint. DeForest Buckner did not practice due to a neck injury. Kenny Moore out with an illness. So a few names to watch as the Colts get back to practice. Jake, they were outdoors yesterday. 33 degrees, flurries in the air. Jeff Saturday said, screw it, we're going outdoors. How about tomorrow night 
Well, you know, Jeff Saturday is a guy that is used to practicing for all conditions to make sure, you know, the legendary story of he and Peyton Manning uh, soaking footballs in water and then working on practicing snapping them coming out of a water bucket before the Super Bowl and then what happens but they go to the Super Bowl and it's a rainstorm the entire time and they have no issues in the snaps I, you know so he's probably thinking like hey we, we might there may be some games I don't New know New Year's Day um, with the Giants right Yeah I was going to say you know they're going to have to play outdoors in the cold at some point high school football tomorrow night Oof, in the cold right I know I was thinking about that semi state action yeah we'll have Greg Rickstraw on tomorrow uh, the look on Reggie Wayne's face walking out to practice yesterday Jake he looked like a guy that it might be one and done in his coaching tenure <laughs> if uh, Jeff Saturday is going to continue these outdoor practices grew up in Florida and or excuse me in Louisiana and played in Florida and was like nah I'm good <laughs> uh, when we come back Remember what was there a contrast of thought when it comes to Jalen Hurts and his possibility coming out of college of being the guy that be taking snaps for the Colts. Kevin will explain. We'll get to that. We come back to Kevin and Query here on a Thursday morning. Good morning to you. It's 93.5107.5 The Fan. Must be the third quarter in Wisconsin, right? I was going to say. Third or fourth? Uh, start of the fourth quarter from Camp Randall. The song's so good. It is a great song. Now the they have about that game too. Like all the students are singing the words oh, too. Yeah. Well, that's just a they have to jump. mute them down for one part because there's kind of a misogynistic lyric in the beginning of one of the stanzas. But it is a great song. When that song came out, I was like a sophomore in college, so you can bet like all my buddies like walking around wearing their you know like Notre Dame type hats with a clover leaf on it. You know, House of Pain. We were cool, man. We were cool. Um, Good morning to you on a Thursday. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton is the one spinning the hits that you just heard. It is Kevin and Quarry here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. It is not necessarily a good-looking day outside, but this is the time of year where you know in particular that football starts to really matter, right? And big-time matchup for the Colts in that vein coming up this weekend. Philadelphia Eagles, of course, we now know coming off of a loss, but they have a guy, Kevin Undercenter and Jalen Hurts, who... You know, I think there was a lot of question about Jalen Hurts just because in his early years, in particular at Alabama, the thought was that he was a running quarterback first or the mobile quarterback, and uh, he's throwing to NFL-level receivers all the time. And, you know, there were some question marks about what kind of quarterback he was going to be in the NFL, but obviously he's turned out to be a pretty darn good one. But he was one that was in the hopper when, obviously, all teams were drafting, but the Colts were in the quarterback market, right? They were. Uh, that was the same draft that they took Jacob Eason a couple rounds after Jalen Hurts. And I think of some of these quarterback names the Colts have thought about drafting veterans over the past few years. I would put Hurts at or near the top of the list that Frank Reich and Chris Boward had some definite disagreement on. I think Frank Reich was very intrigued by the idea of Jalen Hurts, and from what I've gathered, Chris Ballard was not, and I think that's putting it lightly. Um, I, I, if I remember correctly, maybe it wasn't a great senior bowl for Hurts. I know that's something that Ballard has a lot of interest in and, and you know has that as a key evaluation point, but um, from what I have gathered, that was a strong disagreement between the two parties on how they viewed Jalen Hurts. And just to kind of go over where the Colts were at when Hurts was drafted, 
Uh, that was the 2020 draft. So that would have been in round one. You had Burrow going number one, you know, Tua and Justin Herbert going back to back picks there in the top ten. Then you had the Jordan Love pick a little bit later in round one. Jalen Hurts went, I think it was like fifty. It was fifty something, like fifty two or something in round two. Not another quarterback was taken until Jacob Eason in round four. Um, so if you go back to that round two. The Colts had two picks in round two. One was Michael Pittman at 34. One was a little trade-up for Jonathan Taylor at 41. So right now, instead of having Pittman and Taylor, you could have a Pittman and Hertz, or you could have a Taylor and Hertz. Okay, I'm going to be Freudian here. You ready? And I'll use one of my really bad analogies, and I'll make it about me, which is a real strong suit of mine. We've made a lot on this show. I've probably made more on this show than people would like to hear, but about the fact that at the age of 50, I'm taking an introductory algebra class in college. And the reason why is because when I was in college the first go-round, I attempted algebra several times and had to drop it because I was... There was no way I was going to pass it. I struggled with it so mightily. And then it became this mental hurdle where even though I knew I needed algebra to graduate, I kept staving it for another day because I just wasn't psychologically, I couldn't put my my hands around or my head around taking it. Chris Ballard, who I think is a good talent evaluator, And one of his strengths, I think, has been, in a lot of areas, players he's found in the draft. I don't dispute his level of football knowledge. But he has so avoided addressing the draft of a quarterback to the point where he is on record, Kevin, of essentially saying, listen, quarterback, you guys don't realize that's the hardest position to nail. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and you guys would, that would be opening the door to just constantly be killed over the quarterback that I take. Is the draft of quarterback Chris Ballard's algebra? Is it the one thing that he has not addressed because, and again, I, I don't mean this as an attack on him at all. In building a football team, there are a billion things you have to do, and he probably does a lot of them well above average. So it's unfair to think that you're going to know and have an acumen for every single aspect of, of building a football team. But is the quarterback position and drafting a young quarterback and selecting the right quarterback for your franchise, is that his algebra because it's one area that he's just never been able to put his finger on? Because this is now a second time, Kevin, that we know of that there was a player that he seemingly in his evaluation decided was not a good answer. And in those two cases, he's 0 for 2 in his assessment. Yeah, I would say it's bigger than algebra. Uh, What do you need, 120, 130 some credits to graduate? Yeah. Quarterback would be the equivalent to one class being 80 of those 120, 130 credits. Right. Like, quarterback just matters that much. It gets paid like that in the NFL. It, it can cover up so many things. So I would say it's bigger than just one individual class. But is it a mental hurdle for him? Is it a... Yeah, mental hurdle is probably a good way to put it. Um, 
and obviously there's been disagreements. You know, I Chris Bowd had to be convinced a little bit more of Carson Wentz. Um, you know, when you look back on some of these quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford was a guy that Chris Bauer did not think would come to Indianapolis and be a difference maker for this football team. He was turned off by, I think, some of the NFC North history uh, with Ballard being in the Chicago organization. How could you be turned off by that? He was in Detroit where they've won like two playoff games in 30 years. I, I hear you out. And Just he took them to the playoffs. Relaying the message. Um. The Justin Fields name is one that we've brought up before. I think there was a, you know, a collaborative interest there. I don't think they felt like Fields would fall. Where did Chicago take him, Mark? 11, 11 12, something yeah. like that. Um, the Hurts one, I think, is what stings because, Jake, he's sitting right there when you have two second-round picks in that draft. And think back to that 2020 season. Your quarterback was who? To which season? 2020 is Philip Rivers. That's Rivers, right? So you know, I mean, you that's what I mean. Passing the torch from Rivers to Hurts. I mean, that's kind of the I, that's what NFL teams are trying to achieve. Of like the veteran, hand it off to the rookie. You know, hand it off right. to the to the young guy. Well, that's there. what I mean. Is they they have gone veteran quarterback band aid. I mean, we've obviously talked plenty about this. And I get doing that so long as there is a definitive passing of the torch to an heir apparent. And listen, he's a great story, a nice guy, and shows some moxie. But it is not the norm that a guy that you took in the sixth round is who that player is. No, so don't tell no, me no, that's no. who it is, no. right? Um and to be fair, they weren't saying that when Ellinger was drafted. Understood. But I think that, you know, for whatever reason, this move this year, and again, I think people that listen to this program regularly can figure out that I am still bewildered over the Ellinger two-game thing. And I personally think that five years from now, it's one of those things we're going to look back on and go, did that happen? That was really weird. Like, it's not to the level of weird of when Ron Meyer decided for three games he was going to run the wishbone and called Ricky Turner, who was driving a dump truck in Washington somewhere. I love the wishbone so much. I, I Well, you would have loved it when Ricky Turner came here then because he literally like showed up on a Wednesday, was running the wishbone in San Diego on Sunday. The Colts win against the Chargers, and they keep the guy for three weeks, and he's running the wishbone with like Eric Dickerson, and I don't know if it was Owen Gill or Albert Bentley, but... I, you know, it's like, what in the world is going on here? Navy's fullback was just torching Notre Dame on Saturday in the second half, and I was loving it. <laughs> I was like, this is great. The wishbone is impossible to figure uh, out, isn't I was it? Lo- the fullback it, is it, just running right. It was butter. It was just if yeah, you get a through melted butter. If you get a wishbone that is run effectively and like oh. with efficiency, it is the most. Georgia Tech ran it for a long Gorgeous. time, and it was like, oh my goodness. I mean, it was just awful to try to slow down. Now, let's go back to that draft. What pairing would you rather have Michael Pittman and Jalen Hurts or Jonathan Taylor and Jalen Hurts positional value is probably something that makes that a little bit more of a debate obviously on paper I think Taylor has definitely been the better pro than Pittman obviously Pittman has been pretty good as well but would you rather pair the young wideout or one of the better backs in the NFL and see, I, I'm, you know me, 
when it comes to running back, I, Jonathan Taylor's a wonderful player, great player. I still maintain if your bread and butter is that you have the best running back in the NFL, unless it's Derrick Henry who can just salt, and, and I guess Jonathan Taylor could as well, but Derrick Henry is just such a different back. Um, I, I just I don't know that that – I don't know that having the dynamic running back paired with a quarterback is is what gets you to the top. Personally. And remember, when Nick Sirianni took the job in Philly, Jake, there was a lot of question of, is Jalen Hurts, you know, it was a Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts sort of debate about like, hey, you know, what is Philly about to do at the future quarterback spot? And I think Sirianni's belief in Hurts comes from Frank Reich's belief. Um, they very much on the same page on that front. Um, Charles says, Ballard has been apprehensive about drafting a quarterback because he knows once he does, his job is on the clock. Fair. Trevin, I, I, Chris is terrified of drafting a QB because it's a fireball position if you miss on it badly. There's probably a lot of truth behind both those comments. I'm telling you, it's his algebra. It's the one where he's like, I know that I need this. I know that I've got to get this right, but I'll do it next time. I'll do it next semester. I'll do it next semester. I remember when I was, I remember IU saying to me, like, uh, you're a, entering your senior year and you're still in the university division. You need to enter the College of Arts and Sciences. You need to take Algebra 100. And I'm like, do I, is it, am I going to get kicked out if I don't take it yet? No, okay. I'll, I'll do it at the very end. It'll be the last class I take. Because I literally had dropped it, I think it was six times. I just kept holding off on it. Because I knew if I took it and I failed, they were going to kill me for it. It's exactly why I, I, I kept staving it. Because I knew that if I took it and it didn't go well, I didn't have a second answer. And that's I, I think that's where he is. And I think he's basically admitted that. Can't say I blame him. I get it. But it is a pretty important position, Kevin. Yeah, I know I've mentioned this before. It just goes against everything Jim Mercer has said about the goal for this franchise of wanting and hoping for multiple Lombardis in a decade. The only avenue to get there, in my opinion, is to try and take that swing at quarterback. I think you're seeing it in Tampa and L.A. right now. They've obviously benefited from a Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, but even they are not having these, you know, definite Super Bowl runs over over those right. guys' short stays there. It's been you know, much more limited to the one-year experiences of both those teams going to the Super Bowl. All right, uh, we'll continue this conversation with Joel Erickson. Coming up next here, Kevin Corey. Hi, good morning. Colts Eagles coming up this weekend. We've been talking about this one for a while. Now, as we talked about, maybe with Philly it doesn't have the same oomph to it because they are no longer unblemished, but still pretty big matchup for Indianapolis. Joining us now to talk about exactly that and more from the Indianapolis Star is Joel A. Erickson. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, Joel, we'll begin with this, I guess kind of a an obvious or an elementary question, but does the dynamic of this game, I guess, from the Colts' standpoint, or Phillies, either one, change at all because you don't have a team that is coming in unbeaten? Um, I think I think from Phillies' case, I think there's probably a little bit, you know, usually teams get a little bit, uh, if they've been winning a bunch, they get a little bit angry from, uh, from losing for the first time. So I think that there's probably a little bit of that from Philly's standpoint. From the Colts' standpoint, um, I, I don't think it necessarily changes as much that they're not unbeaten. I think that this is still 
If if I was just Saturday, I, I'd be saying, you know, this is the team with the best record in the NFL right now. Joel, I was talking in the opening segment about this, and I know you were probably traveling back from Vegas. I don't know how much you got to watch the Monday night game. But, yes, the Eagles lost. But I also thought they just got beat up in that game physically. I mean, their defense was on the field for long, long stretches. The 40 minutes of the time of possession for Washington. I think they played north of 80 plays. It seems like on a short week, the physical toll that Philly took, especially defensively, that's where the Colts could have their biggest advantage come Sunday. Yeah, you know, we, uh, sometimes we don't give the short week enough credit in the NFL, and, and I think that it's it's going to matter this week. You know, like like you said, eighty plays is a lot. Plus, they, Washington ran the ball like fifty times, I think. Um, so there, that's Philadelphia is deep, and they can rotate guys, but that, that's still a lot of plays for any kind of game, and they've got to get themselves back to equilibrium before they get over here. When, Joel, you look back at the Colts' last outing in Las Vegas, you were there. Look, clearly the difference, aside from the coaching change, was the offensive line. I mean, they had a solidarity about them. They were able to do what they wanted to do offensively because they were finally getting protection. I realize they now have a head coach that was a lineman. I can't imagine in four days that all of a sudden made some huge flip of the switch difference. What was... What did you see out of that offensive line that they were doing from a technical standpoint that they did not do in the previous two and a half months? Well, I think one of the things was something that, you know, Quentin Nelson said uh, the week before, you know, they needed to drive people off the ball. I think about Taylor's touchdown run. Fries and and Smith kind of caved in the right side of the line in a way that we haven't seen uh, that happen very much this season. So I think so well blocked. Yeah, that that was that was a that was a big one, and then I think the, the other thing is just maybe, it might not be a technical thing, but it's it's a Will Fries thing. You know, Matt, Matt Pryor has struggled so much at every spot on the line. Uh, Fries has been in there. They started in one game, and it, it must not have gone very well at the time because uh, they they ended up pulling him back out of the starting lineup. So, but this time this time he sort of solidified it. The, the one caveat though, and and I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but. It's a, it's a, especially from a protection standpoint. That's that's a that's a defensive line that had when they sacked Matt Ryan, whenever whatever quarter that was. That was the first time they got in a sack at thirteen quarters, and they only have ten on the season. So, it, uh, you want to see them play against somebody like Philly and play well because Philly has like twenty nine sacks and is at the top of the league. It, the, the Raiders are, are the worst pass rush in the league, and I can't get that part of it out of my head. Yeah, Jeff Saturday needs to see if he can petition the league to get the Raiders on the schedule more here to close out the season. Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I want to go back to kind of the big news earlier in the week, and that would be Shaquille Leonard's second back surgery. Um, we have a lot of questions, I think, coming out of that news. We, we talked about it a little bit more on yesterday's show, Joel. Um, curious, like, what questions you have, whether it's Leonard-related the free agents at linebacker this year, maybe how that position is viewed if Gus Bradley and or Chris Ballard are not necessarily here next season. What questions do you have about Leonard's season coming to a close? Yeah, you, you hit on the first one right there is, is what is this, what does this picture look like um, for the Colts after this season is over? What, what are they looking for? Um, what's what's the defense look like now with with Leonard's contract? I, I don't think that, that that changes. But in terms of the linebacker positions, 
you need to have a framework to know exactly what um, to know exactly what the team's going to do in the offseason. If, if Bradley's not here, um, if Ballard's not here, all of that stuff changes. Uh, Bobby Okereke is going to be a free agent, so you figure, I mean, generally right now, you'd figure the way Zaire Franklin's playing, you probably just let Okereke move on and and then you go with Leonard but if, if he's healthy. But uh, you need to know what's going on with the rest of the – with with the defensive coordinator position, all that stuff. I, I think the other question, and this is stuff that is is honestly hard to answer. I, I don't know if I've ever covered a uh, an, uh, an issue like this with nerves in the back and, and stuff like that. Is is you know what what how how you know is this is this the final surgery? You know, it's been a lot now for him. Um, what what are the chances of this working? We, that's all the stuff that we don't know and can't really know. I mean, I. I have no history with a, a, a nerve and a back uh, like that, that to, to go on, and that makes it. I think that's what, that's probably what makes it hardest for the Colts, for Leonard, and for everyone. It's just this isn't something that we end up dealing with a lot in in sports where where there's it's a nerve a nerve issue in a back. Could you see um, EJ Speed getting kind of a starting type of contract offer in free agency? I don't. I don't think so. Um, EJ EJ Speed's a guy who uh, hasn't played a ton, and linebackers generally uh, don't make a ton on the free agent market anyway. I mean, think about like what Anthony Walker's got in the last couple of years, uh, and that was a guy who had I think three hundred tackle seasons. So um, I, I don't think he would get a starting deal. Um, that'd be a pretty big jump in a market that tends to be sort of depressed. Well, a linebacker market tends to be kind of depressed compared to other positions. Joel Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. Joe, in terms of the Jeff Saturday change, I mean, we've made a lot about it. We've had plenty of time now to absorb it. There are those, myself included to an extent, that are curious to see whether or not this was just, and I've heard a lot of people that played the game talk about this, that you get kind of a short-term boost of energy, of excitement, of rally, of camaraderie, and then reality <clears throat> kicks back in again and you realize that you're mired in a season that has been frustrating. Which way do you think it goes now? Because having the Raiders, to your point, you know, the Raiders as an opponent probably helped out the situation in the in the outset, but, but do you think it maintains? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the hard question, and and realistically, it it has to maintain uh, pretty strongly because uh, the schedule gets harder from here on out. I don't know if we realize that when we're coming into this season, but you know, there's there's a bunch of teams that are fighting for playoff positioning coming up on the schedule. Teams that have been pretty good, and teams with really good pass rushes. Like I think about like even Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh just got T.J. Watt back, and. Uh, if T.J. Watt is at full strength, then Pittsburgh has a good pass rush. So um, we're going to get some. They're going to get tested. And in terms of whether or not they can they can maintain whatever they had, you know, Saturday himself sort of said the other day that when he was a player, he always thought of like emotions great, but it runs out in like the middle of the first quarter, and then it becomes about execution. And we've we've sort of seen that. You know, that was that's one of the things the players have said is that. You know, Saturday brought a different kind of energy, but there's been like four, four or five players who, well, they've said that. I said that it wasn't that Wright didn't bring the energy or the emotion. They they just haven't executed, it or it, for whatever reason, whether it's you know 
talent deficiencies or technique deficiencies, whatever they haven't executed. And I'm I'm with you, Jake. It, it's really hard for me to look at the a Raiders team that is you know if you just pay attention to the headlines out there appears to be in pretty much disarray and and extrapolate that to the rest of the season. I, I think you know, but for us to to really feel like it's it's this has changed and turned around, it's. It's this Eagles game. It's the Steelers game, and it's like it, it's got to keep happening over and over again. There have been, there have been like the, the Jaguars game was a brief respite from what else they've been dealing with. The Commanders game was a loss, but they only gave up one sack. Like you keep thinking that ever, there's been a couple of one-offs where it looked like they were starting to figure stuff out on the offensive line, and then it didn't happen. And so that, I, I just need to see more before I have any idea what, whether or not this is real or not. Yeah, got to see the outliers not be outliers where the opponent's dysfunction gifts you things, which has kind of been a common occurrence, I think, in several of these wins this season. Again, Joel A. Erickson from the Stars with us. Joel, we were talking last segment about Jalen Hurts and him being the opposing quarterback this weekend. Um, I don't know if I'll speak for myself. I don't have a great read on kind of the Colts inside the building interest on a lot of the young quarterbacks over the years. But from what I have gathered, there was a bit of a disagreement um, on Jalen Hurts between Chris Boward and, and Frank Reich. Is that something that you have gathered over the years? Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot on Hurts. I, I knew a little bit more about some of the first round guys. But I don't have a whole lot on Hurts. Would Fields have been one of the guys that there was a, like a consensus on? You think? Yeah, Fields. I, they love Justin Fields. That was that was my understanding. Was that the the organization just as a whole loved Justin Fields? They, he had all of the intangibles and stuff that they liked in like a Sam Ellinger. But then on top of that, they had the mobility and they they, they really liked him. Um, that's that's one of the guys that I know for sure that they liked. You think of all the first round QBs over the years, that maybe is the one that like would fall into the somewhat realistic category that there could be some regret on? Yeah, because I, I, I think I think there's a really easy t- scenario that plays out where, you know, if you go back to the end of the 2020 season, they lose that game in Buffalo. The next day, Frank Reich says, I want Phillip Rivers back as my quarterback. I mean, definitively. That's that's the most definitive thing he'd said about, he said about any of the quarterbacks they had after luck. Um. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, Rivers retires, um, and then that, that that leads to the Wentz mistake, which I think probably is the mistake that that brings down Reich ultimately in the end. Uh, and, and I just keep wondering, you know, could you have talked Philip Rivers into playing one more year? Because if you do, you sign him. Um, honestly, it's probably like twenty five million. It wouldn't have mattered in terms of the number. Uh, you sign him for one more year, and then you're in that draft that year and you're sitting one spot behind the bears watching field fall with a quarterback you like. And that's, that's sort of the scenario that I thought that they were trying to go for all along was get somebody to the point where they could opportunistically move up the way Kansas city and Buffalo did when they got Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And you know, that they, 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 they moved on at quarterback and they, they didn't think fields was going to fall. I keep thinking of that, that January, February is like the flashpoint where there, there's, a, there's an alternate universe where Justin Fields sat behind Phillip Rivers and learned for a year, and now he's the Colts' starting quarterback. Okay, Joel, I'm going to ask you a couple true-false questions, okay? Okay. True or false, Jim Mercer likes Sam Ellinger. Oh, true. Uh, true or false, Sam Ellinger getting his 
shot at being the starter was facilitated or influenced by Jim Irsay? True. True or false, Chris Ballard has yet to use the draft to take the next franchise quarterback of the Colts in terms of Chris Ballard's definition of that position. Yeah, true. So, with those questions asked... Not a lot of variety there, Jake. All all, all true. That's correct, yeah. Um, (laughs) Good point. So, the question... Okay, then I will give you the opportunity for a false. There could be some difference in opinion that could become uncomfortable between Jim Mersey and Chris Ballard on whether or not Chris Ballard should select Sam Ellinger as the quarterback to build around as opposed to still drafting a player that Ballard likes better? Um, In other words, is it possible that Jim Mercer says to Chris Ballard, you don't need to be drafting a quarterback in the next few drafts high up because I believe you have the guy on the roster? I... I don't think so after they after he after you know Saturday was allowed to move back to Matt Ryan. I think they he wanted to see Sam Ellinger. He did believe in Sam Ellinger. That's that's been true for a long time. He was he brought him up unprompt he brought Ellinger up unprompted at the owners meeting last year. Uh I think before that too. Um but the fact that they let the fact that they let Saturday make his own decision and go back to Matt Ryan is an indicator to me that you know, those first two games took a little bit of the, this could be the franchise guy out of that. You know, I don't think you, you write off Ellinger at all, but because, you know, the, the Washington game was the kind of game that you'd, you'd like to have from a backup if you had to use one. But, you know, Ursay's Ur- wanted a young quarterback, and I think Ursay understands, Ursay should understand at least, given the history of his franchise, he should understand the, the value of the, the high-round quarterback. Um, and, and so I, I would think that, my my assumption is that, that that's where the organization is heading. Um, I, I I'd be surprised if it's if it's not. Joel, last one for me, and again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Pro Bowl voting is underway. I know a lot of people laugh at it. Uh, players care about being Pro Bowlers, yeah. and I do think it's something where you kind of classified into two groups: guys that are deserving of Pro Bowlers, and then guys that will ultimately be selected to the Pro Bowl, which is kind of a popularity contest: a third fan vote, a third player vote, a third coach vote. Um, deserving Pro Bowl caliber players in this team. Um, I've got Grover Stewart. I've got DeForest Buckner. I could probably be talked into. Stephon Gilmore or Zaire Franklin. Um, agree, disagree. Anyone else you want to throw on that list? I could easily see Quentin Nelson making it just based off of name recognition. And I I don't know. I'd, I'd be lying if I knew what the other guards in the AFC were looking like this season. Uh, anybody else? No, I, I think you've hit the guys that, that I would put in there. I, they, I, I just wrote about this uh, to yesterday for today. The, the hardest part... The two the players who played the best on the Colts are both defensive tackles, right? And and there's only three spots for the AFC. And I know, I know Grover Stewart. Um, this is in the story, but like Grover, there there have been players on opposing teams like Max Crosby and Derrick Henry who've been coming up to DeFor- or like Grover Stewart and being like, "Hey man, people need to talk about you." Like uh, he he's getting the notice from players around the league, but he also plays nose tackle and he doesn't get a lot of sacks. And you know he plays right next to a guy who's got um, the 
Sports Info Solutions has has Buckner as the fourth most quarterback pressures uh, from the defensive tackle position in the entire NFL. And there's two AFC guys who are in front of him, and Quinn Williams and Chris Jones. So that 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 position, I almost feel like that like you should get on a Pro Bowl, you should at least get four to make sure one of those Colts guys gets gets it because they're they're different. But the Stewart season uh, is has been so dominant, and you, you you'd have to want recognition that again though that this, that usually goes people who get sacks and if you watch the Colts pass rush at all you're like well it's Buckner and, and then it's everybody else so I, I don't really have anybody else I'm just interested in that defensive tackle thing because I think it's if you watch the Colts every week like we have you're like man these defensive tackles both of them deserve it but like I said there's Jones there's Williams there's right. there's probably Jeffrey Simmons there's a lot of guys well, in the AFC Cameron Hayward yeah they've got a lot of guys in the AFC who's got a claim and it makes you wonder, you know, can a season that it, Grover Stewart has absolutely played at a Pro Bowl level, can a nose tackle break through all of those three techniques and get a, and get a spot? God, it seems lofty. I mean, the fan vote, no chance he garners attention outside of Indianapolis. Coach vote, you would hope, and then player vote. Again, you would like to think some players, like you said, you know, have recognized it. But at the end of the day, and this is just what um, I think hurt Kenny Moore for several years. Grover Stewart went to Albany State. You know, I, I yeah. watch players vote for Pro Bowlers. They often vote for their collegiate teammates or guys that, you know, they train with or, you know, guys that they went up against in college. You know, like that sort of angle. If he um, can get on fan radar nationally, if he starts to get some pub, he'll become a regular, like, fan vote guy. You know why? And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying this to be funny. His name's Grover. Like once you hear oh, yeah. his name, yeah. you never mm-hmm. forget it, right? Yeah, Joel. If you have another kid, you got to throw Grover on the name list. I know you just had one, so <laughs> uh, yeah. We're, I don't think we're going for four, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to keep Grover in uh, in 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 reserve in case something happens. Just yeah. already erect the wing in Canton for Grover Erickson one day. <laughs> Grover Leaf Erickson. Oh, Leaf. That's good. Yeah. Spell. If he's Grover Leaf Erickson, he's got to play for the Vikings, though, right? Sure. I mean, blue right. and purple, right? right? I can just see the eye black under his eyes right now. <laughs> Joel A. Erickson uh, with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Joel, as always, thank you for the time. Congrats on the somewhat newborn, and I'll uh, see you in a few hours. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's Joel Erickson right there on the Payless Slickers Did you see, by the way, speaking of the Vikings, kind of went viral yesterday. Did you see the clip of Paul Allen, who's the Vikings play-by-play guy, calling the end of the Bills-Vikings game? Yeah. It he's, was pr- it was pretty lamey-esque, right? He, well, he's he's got a great voice. He's good at what he does. Except for... Mark, do you have that by chance? I can pull it. If you go to... If you can pull it, Mark, and go to the spot... I, I'm going to play, Kevin, a little... We're going to do broadcast critique here, okay? And look, he's a fabulous... He's got a great voice... And this he's is a, the Justin Jefferson he's catch. A very or is emotional this the guy. End of the game. No, this is the this is the play. I want to hear. I want to see if you notice what I do. Okay. Okay. The play where the Bills. For those that are unfamiliar, I can't imagine many are. But for those that are unfamiliar, Minnesota had a fourth and inches, fourth and goal on basically the goal line, and were stopped and seemingly lost the game at that position at that on that play. On the next play, Josh Allen trying to sneak to get off of the goal line, fumbled the snap, Minnesota recovered and scored because they were in the end zone for a touchdown. 
and Minnesota took the lead at that point, theoretically winning the game. Buffalo came down. Josh Allen still had 40 seconds left, went down, got him in field goal range, forced overtime, in which Minnesota still won in the overtime. Do we have the play, I think play, I've got Mark? it where you want it. This is, this is, I want the play where the fumble takes place, where Buffalo has gotten the ball back and Josh Allen fumbles the snap. Okay, now, Kevin, I want you to critique Kevin. this and see if you notice what I do. Here we go. First down from the goal strike for the Bills. Josh Allen puts Gabe Davis in motion, and Davis is behind Allen, and he tried to push him. He didn't get out of there. He didn't get out. He did not get out. That's a safety. Give it to us. Give us a safety. Look at what's taking so long. Yes, the Vikings are going to win. Are you kidding me? Yes, drop that ball, Josh Allen. That ball came loose. Holy cow. 29-yard try, left half. Okay, now. He erred on saying the Vikings are going to win the game. Well, so, I mean, that I kind of get that, but here's – and I'm being a nit, really nitpicky here because I get it, and it's, a, it's kind of a scrum. It's mayhem. He never told what happened. If I'm driving in my car, I'm like, wait, what What just happened? I mean, the color guy kind of does, but he never relays what took place. All of a sudden, he's just like, the Vikings are going to win. If I'm, if like I'm he in needs my- to say the Vikings recovered, touchdown. Correct. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. he needs to say like right. Allen under center, snaps. There's a scrum, you know, and then once he determines, Josh Allen fumbled the football, Minnesota recovers it in the end zone, the Vikings have scored. I mean, you need to tell what happened. Like yeah. Safety, give it to us. Give us the safety. Now, Look at what's taking so long. Yeah, I guess what? Is that the color guy that said touchdown? You know, Yeah, the color guy is yelling it off to the side yeah, and you overhear it, right? Voice. Right, right. The other thing, too, and I personally don't have it. There are those that would have issue with this. I'm not necessarily one of them. But there are those that would say, even though I realize in today's professional sports, and who am I? I mean, he's a great broadcaster. I mean, the us stuff, there are those. Mark Boyle would go bonkers mm-hmm. if he heard someone I, saying us. He for a radio play-by-play play play person, I don't have that big of an I, issue I, with I it. tend to agree with you on that because he's a paid personnel member of the franchise. Right. I, so I get that. But at its core in broadcast journalism sense, us and we is very frowned upon. Have you guys seen, I'm sure you have, the weather for Buffalo and Cleveland? Oh, yeah. This weekend. They said they might that leave game. the game. I'm like, you better leave that game there. I want to see some mayhem. Is it three feet of snow? Four or feet now. Is it rising? It said 48 to 60 inches. Excuse me? Starting today. Four to five feet? Yeah. Starting today into Sunday in western New York. I find it very, I guess, ironic. Obviously, we remember the Colts-Bills game there back in 2017. Like, all that snow. Frank Gore ran it 7,000 times. Adam Vinatieri, arguably the greatest kick he's ever made in that snow. Um, The Colts played in Buffalo one year ago this weekend. Like, this could have been the Colts-Bills last year. Yeah. Playing this sort of game. And I feel like Cleveland is kind of built for it, right? Isn't Cleveland's offensive line and Nick Chubb, isn't that like kind of a little bit more of their flip? Like, Buffalo is... Buffalo plays in that weather, but Buffalo's built to be a greatest show on turf type of thing. The National Weather Service of Buffalo has predicted up to four feet or more of snow could fall in the area this coming weekend. Okay. I met a guy last night 
that was walking home. And I'm like, man, it's awfully cold to be walking outside. He was walking home from work. He goes, yeah, I, I, I walked two hours to work. And I said, aren't you freezing? And he said, I'm from Buffalo. And I said, well, if you're from Buffalo, this is like springtime, right? And he said, yeah, pretty much. He Walking moved- from Buffalo is longer than a two-hour walk. <laughs> Excellent. Mark. Mark. So at any rate, he, um, we got to chatting, and I said, are you a Bills fan? And he said, absolutely. He's lived here for one month. And I said, what is the narrative about like Josh Allen? And he's like, dude, that guy is the most down-to-earth. He's like... Everybody in town knows him. Oh, he's perfect. Perfect temperament. He's like, that's exactly, he's like, literally, he goes, you know, you hear a lot about stars being decent people, whatever. He's like, he's like, but literally, I said, so you've actually met him? And he said, everyone in Buffalo's met him. He just like goes to the grocery store and like stops and chats to people and you see him out and about. He's like, yes, everyone knows. He's just like everyone's neighbor. I'm telling you, like, and I know Buffalo... You know they got three losses now. We think Buffalo's not even leading their division. If the Colts can't be the team to win the AFC, I would love to see it be Buffalo, just because I think that guy's such a good story. Oh, and for that fan base, totally. I think it's awesome that that market has an NFL team and has one of the best NFL teams right now. All right, Scott Agnes and a few morning checkdown. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, the Pacers last night, they are now over 500 for the first time since Nate Bjorkren was at the helm in February 2021. It was 125-113, another strong fourth quarter for the Pacers. Miles Turner's fourth straight double-double. Tyrese Halliburton with 22-11. and 11. Benedict Matherin with 20 points in 22 minutes. The Pacers had lost six straight to Charlotte. That's amazing. I mean, you said that this morning and I'm, earlier, and I'm like, really? That surprised me, big time. Uh, at the Rockets coming up, I almost said Hornets again. At the Rockets, Rockets are three and twelve on the year. Uh, coming up on Friday for Indiana. Uh, other notes, by the way, around the association last night. OG Ananobi, the former Indiana star, thirty-two and ten as the Raptors beat the Miami Heat one twelve one hundred four. It was Boston one twenty-six one hundred one over Atlanta. Michael uh, Grady's Minnesota Timberwolves, 126-108 over the Orlando Magic. Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns becoming a pretty good duo. 65 points between the two of them. Elsewhere, Phoenix, the Knicks, Rockets, Pelicans, and Bucks, all winners in the association. Grady's Timberwolves coming here next week, right, Mark? Yep, we'll try to get them on next week. Uh, Thursday night football tonight, it'll be the Titans and the Packers. The Titans are a three-point underdog at Lambeau. Colts fans certainly would want to pay attention to that. The Colts need to do a lot on their own end to even get back into the AFC South race, but you also need a lot of help from Tennessee. Six and three Titans, four, five, and one Colts right now, if you look at the schedule. And in college troops last night, it was Ball State. 71-61. Chirp, chirp. Cards now 2-1 and one over Omaha. Jalen Wyndham had 15. Jalen Sellers. Demarius Jacobs, 12 points each for the cards. Notre Dame, 82-70 winners over Southern Indiana. The Irish now 3-0. and Trey Wirtz with 20. Did you watch the game? I'm going to get into a rant about it later. Literally the first half, the Duke-Wake Forest volleyball match went five sets. <laughs> I'm yelling at the top of my lungs at the TV. I told you. The Wake Forest, I'm sorry. Don't you remember? Like, One of the Wake Forest girls went to Ron Colley. <laughs> the announcers were saying, I'm yelling at her to just 
finish off the fourth set so it doesn't go to a fifth. The, you know, <laughs> this is the one year anniversary, I think, of the time on the same network when I was like super excited one night to sit down. I have my popcorn. I'm like, I'm going to watch Wyoming basketball. I think I can put on a Wyoming shirt. Kevin had a belly full of Basbo's pizza, and he's screaming at the television. That's right. I've said this numerous times. it's your birthday, Mom, but the game's not on yet. I've said this numerous times. I'll say it again. It's ACC Network. Why is there not a button in the bottom right part of the screen that says, if you would like to watch Notre Dame, Southern Indiana, click here. You're still staying on ACC Network. It's not like I'm leaving. Do you want to? Do you want to? The network. Do you want to get Taylor Tannenbaum on to talk about it? I, I honestly should have texted her. I. It makes no sense to me. And I know we run into this with 9 o'clock starts in college basketball for Indiana and Purdue. If the 7 o'clock game bleeds over and you're staying on that same network, there should be no reason why they don't offer the opportunity for you to switch over to that game. So it's still their same network. So within a week, we have Taylor Tannenbaum's dog, Mitch, that completely threw off the calendar of my phone and I couldn't figure out what my Mitch obligation was. And then we have her network <laughs> causing you delay. Jake, I missed the whole Notre first Day. half. <laughs> <laughs> the whole first half. Now I got to watch Lipscomb in Notre Dame on Friday. Sounds like we need to have like a festivus with Taylor Tannenbaum <laughs> and just air some grievances. Uh, That's right. Butler Saint Mitch, you got your network. <laughs> Butler Saint Francis tonight. Got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> Over at Hinkle, uh, Scott Agnes next here to talk Pacers. Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files is with us now to recap. Last night, the Pacers moving to 7-6 and six on the season. They are above 500 for the first time in about 18 months. And we're seeing some consistency out of the big fella, Miles Turner. We have not seen, arguably throughout his career. Again, Scott joins us now. Scott, I think that's the thing that stands out the most. I mean, obviously, the record is surprising, I think, to virtually everyone. But... Turner, ever since that Brooklyn game and really those Woj comments, the Woj podcast comments, he's reached a level of consistency that I think everyone's kind of been waiting for throughout his career. For sure, especially on the rebounding end. That was something going into the season. He he admitted, like, hey, look, there's ways I can improve, obviously, and this can be one of them. And the fact that, you know, I look up in the second quarter, he's got 12 points and five rebounds, and it ends up with double-digit rebounds. I think that being a center and now especially being the focal center I, I think yeah there was there's a lot of people just on the outside looking in wondering hey look you're the big how can you not grab more than you know six rebounds well it's not always that simple especially in years past because how they used him was the guy that hey take out their center and one of our guys will go get the rebound is how they viewed it um so kind of skewed it a little bit but yeah you gotta be impressed i think with the feel and and the the interest level, activity level, and everything of Miles and what he's doing, it doesn't feel like he's forcing anything, just playing within himself. And I really liked how he's played over the last 10 days. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, or I guess I don't know, so maybe it's more just me asking you. Do you know if the Pacers have ever put a contract extension in front of Miles Turner? Uh, I do not. I don't believe so. My understanding is Miles is very similar to Victor Oladipo's situation in that he wants to get to free agency where he'll become a free agent for the first time and see what that's like and have the opportunity to put, to pick where he wants to go. Yeah. But I don't know for certain, but that's been my understanding. God, it's a dangerous game to play when you think about the trade deadline and all of that. 
Scott, I was mentioning this earlier. You were there. You know, the Pacers at the beginning of the year basically had like kind of an informal get-together where they essentially set the baseline for those of us that were going to be covering them over the year of, hey, listen, we're going to ask for your patience and we're going to ask you, to, and you tell me, Scott, if I'm misquoting here, okay, but they basically said, we're going to ask for your patience because we've got to kind of start back down at the ground floor and build this thing back up. And we need our fans to know that. So we're asking you guys and gals to have the understanding to relay to our fan base where we're coming from here and the fact that we we know that we're going to lose some games that people are going to be frustrated with. And so they set that baseline for all of us. I think it was expected and respected, truthfully. And now here they are, and they're playing well. Do you think that, A they misjudged how much they needed to rebuild, so to speak, or B, do you think they just realized like they have a couple of players that are too talented to not accidentally win some games? <laughs> yeah, I think it's more the latter. First of all, yeah, I agree. That was that was my overwhelming takeaway. It's like, hey, look, it's it could be a little bit ugly for a couple weeks and there might be a good win and win or two and everything, but um, you know, this is the understanding that we're playing the long game here and trying to um, develop players, install a culture, set a system, figure out, you know, what what they have in some guys. Like, they knew Miles Turner, but you didn't exactly know what you had in Tyrese. And, and I think he's outperformed all expectations. The fact that he's leading the league in assists already, that he's averaging 20 and 10. That has been fantastic. How about Buddy Heal? I mean, consistently averaging 20 points per game and knocking in three and four threes per game. Um, there was many times, I mean, in, in years past where it felt like, it, especially following from afar, where, you know, he, he would have he would be very hot and cold. He would have a 25-point night and then a night where he might go two of 12 from three, but he was going to keep shooting them type of thing. I think Buddy has been consistently good in his production, for example. So I think... It's been a combination of an easier schedule to start, and I mean that both with opponents and days between. For example, the Pacers just had three days between games, whereas the Hornets, they're basically playing every other day with an occasional back-to-back. So that's one thing that's gone in the Pacers' favor. Uh, And then also I think it's just a matter of guys coming together, guys playing as a team. Um, And also, like, did we really expect Andrew Nemhart, second-round pick, to come in and not just play, you know, 20, 25 minutes per game, but start the last four games? No, I, I don't think so. So I think they're slightly ahead of schedule with the small caveat that this is small sample size right now. So uh, let's see what things look like after that big road trip out west after Thanksgiving um, because I, I think that will really shape maybe more of our opinion if they go 4-2, and 3-3, and three, or is that a, or excuse me, is that a 2-5 and five trip out west? Yeah, their next five, all against teams under 500, but then after that, like you said, Scott, the longest road trip I can ever remember, seven games out west. Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files mentioned it before, but um, does a great piece after each game, just kind of his running thoughts throughout. It's a must-read over there on Fieldhouse Files. Last night with Benedict Matherin, two things stood out to me, Scott. Um, His ability to just kind of bounce back from plays, like – you could watch Matherin for a possession or two. You can be like, "Oh man, you know that was that wasn't great." He 
you know, got in the lane and forced something and then, you know, complained to the refs, didn't hustle back and allowed a layup in the other end. You also could, like, walk into the kitchen for a minute and you come back and Daenerys going, eh, Matherin scored seven points in the last 90 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Like, his ability yeah. to, I think, bounce back is something. Like, he's got amnesia. Like, th- that stands out to me. The other thing, too, is, and they threw up the graphic last night, no one off the bench has gotten to the foul line more than him this season in the NBA. He didn't show that at Arizona to this level. Those two things I think have stood out to me. The ability to bounce back as a rookie and the ability to just put his head down and consistently get to the foul line. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And even more so his ability to even finish through some of that contact. At least get a shot up even if he doesn't make it. Give him a chance for a potential three-point play. That was the other thing I didn't really see on the uh, tape that I watched from him at Arizona. He was trying to attack more. After you know, being he was a shooter, and then he tried to attack more. Um, but his ability to finish through contact, I was one of the notes in, in there last night. Is I was surprised. I looked up early. I think fourth quarter, he only had two free throw attempts. And then he had four in a row uh, after he had made three straight uh, layups there at the basket, and so. Yeah, he can score awfully quickly, and, and to your point, yeah, this fact that he's able to rebound, whether it was a an off night, not really a bad game, but maybe a game he didn't play well, and he's only really had one, maybe two of those thus far. I remember the one where he had eight points, and then he bounced back and I think scored something, it's something in the 20s the next night, but he's just... He's been solid in that production, and I, I think what he's been able to do while playing off the bench, not pouting, and, and, and owning up to what Car- Coach Carlisle and this Pacers team is demanding of him has been very positive to this point. And that's yet another reason why the Pacers are off to a winning record right now. Scott, we're going to talk a lot about, over the next handful of years, Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton. Yep. That's a given, right? But I'll tell you what. Not a lot of people are talking about it, but is Andrew Nimhard all of a sudden starting to show that he is, in fact, not a starter perhaps, but that he is going to be a really nice rotational piece for them for a, for a handful of years here? It's a great point. I think so, and in, in a different way than I was expecting. And that's that. not necessarily, in particular, the exact backup point guard. It's He's playing off ball. And Correct. For example, he didn't just start the game, but he finished the game. Uh, last night, but and you know that, what he does, that Scott. You certainly don't expect. You, you know what, and you tell me if, if I'm wrong here. Uh, this is my observation, though. The thing that Andrew Nimhard does as well as anybody that you could ask as a young player is play within himself. He has a very mm-hmm. clear understanding of what his role and expectation is, and I think he does a really nice job of playing within those parameters as to not disrupt anything else on the floor. Completely agree. Doesn't get sped up. He's under control, which is not easy for not even just a rookie, but a first-year, two-year player. Um, because the speed of the game, that's the number one thing when we talk to players, that they say changes when you go from college G League to the NBA. It's just you, you feel like you're flying down the highway. Some might say like an Autobahn uh, out there. And uh, <laughs> and so um, th- this is this is a situation where Nemhart just come in, played well, played under control, and you know if he's left open for three, he's absolutely going to take it. He's he's being decisive with it, and that's what Rick wants. But he's also not forcing anything. So yeah, Nemhart's been another big success here in the early going. Have you driven on the Autobahn before? No, not at all. Have you, Kevin? No, 
Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never been to Germany, but just to get a Porsche and just go, hell yeah. I think something I scary. Nemhard related that you guys both made good points on. You think about his two years at Gonzaga after he transferred from Florida. You know, one of them, Jalen Suggs, is there. Suggs obviously dominated the ball as he should have, but then Suggs leaves, and last year he's more of the point guard. And I think we've seen that mm-hmm. already of like, you know, he's been inserted in the starting lineup, playing a little bit off the ball. Um, but, you know, Ultimately, he's probably kind of a backup point guard to Tyrese Halliburton in the, in the league. Um, again, Scott Agnes. And, and by the way, those are those aren't easy switches. I think, especially for a new player, no. and so that's no. that's what's been so impressive and how he's been able to adapt and, and just you know not act like this is it's too much. He very much re- resembles in the way he carries himself to me as Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. fascinating. It really is. I think it's good that O'Shea Brissett's getting some minutes right now. I'm sure the injury related a bit, but um, I, I think it's key that he's uh, factored here into kind of that eighth, ninth guy. Yeah, I completely agree. I was thinking about time. That's probably one of the biggest areas where uh, I've disagreed with Rick in terms of the rotation. Maybe the only area is I, I'm just you know to see O'Shea essentially just be sit on the bench for the first month. I'm like. There's been a couple nights where they haven't had it, right? And that's going to happen throughout the season. But you need an energy. You need a jolt. You need a guy to just not turn it over and not get in the way, but just, you know, do the little things. That's O'Shea. And I, I could not figure out why he was out of the rotation. And now that he's back in it, uh, a guy that really didn't play much early on, and, you know, he comes in, hits a couple quick threes, doesn't get in the way, plays 20 minutes last night, the most he's played all season. And, and you don't, you know, what he's able to do, it's it's those simple little things, and if he can give you a, a good 15-minute spurt in a game, that's exactly what you need. Scott, I, I'm going to ask this question legitimately I, because I don't know the answer, so this is not like me suggesting something via a question, okay? The, the level of play that we're seeing from Miles Turner right now, is that Miles Turner completely comfortable with and invested in the Pacers and wanting to perhaps play his way into being part of the the solution long term, or is that Miles Turner playing because he knows his contract is coming up and he wants to go elsewhere? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I, I view what he's doing right now is he's playing. He he's comfortable in his own skin, and he had a, a really uh, important, I think off season for him physically and mentally about what he wants to be about and such. But I think, I think this is him playing to potential and ultimately taking advantage of just more of an opportunity. I see this uh, as exactly who he should be. Um, It doesn't have to be by the way, 20 and 10. I'm more realistically, I thought on a really good team, I see him more as a, you know, 15, 10 and three block guy who could also go for 25 a few nights, but not on average, um, but the combination, I think, Jake, of the, that the team is playing well, he's got the best point guard he's ever played with. That certainly helps. Being in a contract year, and we all know he listens to everyone else, so there's certainly a, a, a motivation, I think, from within to, to prove everyone else wrong. Um, that has to be fueling him a little bit, and maybe to, to KB's point at the beginning, um, that bad performance in Brooklyn was like, all right, I can't let this happen again. It's just the consistency more than anything for me. Again, four yep. straight double doubles. I think that's you've seen flashes. You've seen you know an outlier, you know one offs, you know maybe a couple of games, but to do it four in a row, 
uh, really important for Miles Turner. Again, Scott Agnes over at Fieldhouse Files. Scott, thank you. You bet. Thanks, guys. Well, we're going to get an Eagles side of things coming up with this matchup. Um, I believe the line last I saw dropped to six. Um, so, yeah, Colts and Eagles coming up 1 o'clock on Sunday. Dave Zangrano from NBC Sports um, out there in Philly. We'll get his perspective on things coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin and Corey. Get the Eagles side of things coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, they had a walkthrough yesterday, Philly. I've been saying it all show long. I feel like um, just kind of the physical toll from Monday. Very, very curious to see how they react and if the Colts are able to, you know, execute a similar type of blueprint because come third, fourth quarter, you could be some hands on the hips from that Philly defense. And that's the recipe, I think, if you're going to limit possessions. Because as much as, you know, Philly did lose on Monday night, Jake, they had the ball for 20 minutes, they committed three turnovers, and they still scored 21 points in those 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, you know... Snap your fingers and they can score. It is funny because I think there was the narrative when Jalen Hurts took over as quarterback, like, man, are they going to be able to to move the football? You know what I mean? Are they going to be able to score? He's Is he a good enough pocket-type quarterback? What's interesting to me is if you look at the Colts' years where they got out to the long, deep, undefeated starts, how did they play in the game after their first loss. Now, a lot of times it's hard to say because, for example, in 05, they they got beat by San Diego. Then they turn around. They lose at Seattle. But once the undefeated season was gone, they basically rested everybody, right? So that, you know, Jim Sorge, I remember Polian coming into the locker room after that game in Seattle. Boy, tell me Sorge didn't play well. Sorge, somebody tell me that he didn't play well. I mean, that that was a great performance. It's like, okay. I mean, he was okay. But... I think the NFC East standings, now you only have one bye, Jake. That's got to matter a whole lot to Philly still. Uh, right. You know, when you think about where they're at of only a game up on the Giants, only two games up on the Cowboys. The Vikings are right there with one loss in the NFC. And again, just one bye. So in a way, I mean, you've got to look at it and say, if you get the bye, you've won one of the three playoff games you have to win to get to the Super Bowl. Oh uh, six. The Colts lost in Dallas, then turned around and against Philadelphia actually responded resoundingly and then went on that two-game losing skid, including the Jacksonville game where Bob Kravitz's famous line of the only reason Jacksonville stopped running the ball is because the end zone kept getting in the way. (laughs) That's such a great line. The year after that, though, started out, lost to New England, and then turned around and lost the next week to San Diego and then ripped off like seven in a row. So... We'll see what it means for Philly, and we'll find out the perspective from the city of brotherly love next. You are listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Colts and Eagles coming up Sunday. Uh, I and Eagle, coincidentally enough, on the call. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk about exactly that from the city of brotherly love, Dave Zangaro joins us. He's with NBC Sports Philadelphia. Dave, I'm going to get right to this point, and I appreciate your time this morning. Um, You know, we saw, it's been a while, but there was a time in Indianapolis where the Colts often were the last team in the league to lose their first game. 
And I went back and looked, and you know, oftentimes the game right afterwards, they, they'd kind of get hung up. Now, sometimes that was because they were so deep into the year that once the loss was there, they went ahead and rested players, so it's kind of hard to tell. But from your vantage point with the Eagles, short week, but what has been the mindset? Does there appear to be any wind out of their sails now that they have a blemish on their record? Hey, good morning. You know, honestly, uh, you know, after the game, the thing I was most impressed about in the locker room was just how calm everyone was. Uh, not that it was a relief to lose that game, but there was no panic. I mean, obviously they were upset they lost the football game, but uh, the way they lost that game was a lot of self-inflicted stuff. So I think they looked at it and said, well, we have all these things to work on, and I, they had the leadership in place, so I don't think it's going to let them spiral at all you know i think they're kind of a focused team and uh, that doesn't mean that they're just going to come out and roll off a bunch of wins again but i I don't think that's going to be an issue going forward dave zangrano again from nbc sports covers the eagles he's with us on the payless liquors hotline before monday was the run defense the one question mark for philly yeah, it's a, it's definitely a question mark. And it, it was kind of a weird game on Monday night because they gave up 152 yards, but at 3.1 yards a carry. So uh, you can kind of have problems with the run defense, but in another way you can say, all right, well, that's not bad at all, obviously. Um, they're missing Jordan Davis. There's no question. They're, uh, their first-round pick, who was playing really well at that nose tackle position without him They've been lacking a little bit. It's the reason they went out and, and signed Linval Joseph yesterday. So we'll see how quickly he can get caught up to speed after not playing all season. And you know he's a 34 year old, 30, uh, 330 pound guy. So uh, it might not just be as easy as plugging him in, uh, but it is a concern, uh, especially with who they have on the schedule coming up. Obviously, the Colts are coming off a really big rushing performance. They have the Titans. On the schedule, they have the Giants twice. They have Dallas again. So a, a lot of good running teams as we get into December, which is not a great recipe for a team that has struggled against the run. So it's it's definitely one of the biggest concerns about this team right now. I think the other big news item out of Monday is the injury to Dallas Goddard, one of the better tight ends, particularly after the catch in the league. And I was looking at the Eagles roster, and I thought to myself, you know what? Knowing Nick Sirianni like I know him, I know he's not a tight end, but I almost feel like that injury could mean Zach Pascal all of a sudden takes on a little bit of a bigger role. Sirianni loved Pascal when he was here. Uh, just any thoughts to how they will try and, and replace that and what Pascal, um, kind of his role has been behind, obviously, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith? Yeah, Pascal's really been the four for a lot of the season because they have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Quez Watkins, who has been their slot receiver for a lot of the season. But, yeah, he loves Pascal, obviously. Uh, he too, still does all the dirty work. And uh, you could see him in some sort of a blocking receiver role to, to try to be uh, some sort of replacement for Dallas Goddard. But it's there's no easy replacement for arguably a, a top two, top three tight end in the league. He's been that good this year. So uh, they haven't made any secret about the, you know, the way this passing offense works is it runs through three players, Dallas Goddard, AJ Brown, and Devonte Smith. So now that one of them's gone, I, I think it really just runs through AJ Brown and Devonte. And uh, that's not a, a bad thing. I mean, I, these two guys are very good and there have been times this year where specifically with Devonte, he hasn't seen 
share of targets. The targets to A.J. Brown have been really consistent. The targets to Dallas Goddard have been really consistent. Uh, this might be a chance for Devontae to, to really take that year two jump that a lot of people expected, but we know there's only one football and there's limited opportunities. So, uh, you know, their backup tight ends don't have a ton of experience, so I don't think it's as simple as, hey, next man up. It's going to take a lot of different people to fill that void. Dan Zangaro is our guest. He's with NBC Sports Philadelphia. He's on the Payless Cigars Hotline. Dan, is there any way to know? It's or, Dave. Dan, or Dave, I'm sorry. I said Dan. My apologies. Um, I couldn't read my own handwriting there, Dave. My apologies. Um, is there any way to know with Nick Seriani how much of Indianapolis he brought with him? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Uh, no. I, I don't. I, it's tough for me to say because I wasn't around the team in Indianapolis. I, I do know Frank Reich enough to see some of that influence. Right. And, uh, I did, it, just in personnel, he brought a, a lot, right? I mean, he brought Jonathan Gannon with him. He brought Jason Michael with him. Uh, so I, I think there are some staples. But this is Sirianni's team. It's not, you know, we were kind of curious, is this going to be Frank Reich 2.0? And, and, no, I've been really impressed by the offense Sirianni's put together. And the most impressive thing that he's done is that, he, and he, it's what he talked about, and we just had to see him actually put it into, uh, put it into the, you know, put make it work. Is, is that he's using his offensive players to their strengths. He has a great offensive line. He uses that. He has a good tight end, so he says, okay, he's a focal point of the offense. You go out and get AJ Brown. Obviously, he's getting his targets, and they've the offense has grown as Jalen Hurst has grown. You know, when they needed to be a heavy RPO read option team, that's what they did. And as Jalen's become a, a more comfortable pocket passer, the offense has shifted. So uh, he talked about that when he got hired, that you know, the, the mark of a good coach is conforming to what your players do best. And he's certainly done that in his year and a half here. Dave, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to go back to it a, a little bit in terms of, you know, Philly getting that first loss. And I thought you raised an interesting point. You know, you almost wonder if sometimes it doesn't, like, take weight off of guys, right? Where they're like, okay, now we got that out of the way. Now let's go to, like, phase two here. But did Washington do anything that, per se, exposed the Eagles? Or was it just a matter of one of those games where, you know, things necessarily didn't fall their way? In other words, does does Indianapolis really scour the tape to see what was done and have an area that is very clear for them to exploit? No, I don't think so. I don't think they'd get much from it. It was just a, a really strange game. One of the things the Eagles have been so good at this year was their turnover margin. And in this game, they turned the football over three times. So, you know, some of that is preparation and and repping it. But some of it is kind of just luck, you know. it. Those things always seem to kind of regress to the mean. And that's what happened on Monday. They had three turnovers all season before that. They had three on Monday night. So uh, I think it would be tough to look at that Washington game and say, all right, they figured out the blueprint, so to speak, to beat this team. Uh, I think part of the blueprint was already there. You know, um, if there's one thing to take away from it, it's that, you know, they had these long drives on offense that uh, worked because they converted a bunch of third downs. I don't know if you'll be able to duplicate that every week. They had – 12 third down conversions, which is pretty crazy. I, I just don't think that's a, a sustainable way to run an offense. So uh, teams might try to do that against the Eagles, but I, I, it's hard for me to imagine they'll have the same level of success. 
Kenny's with NBC Sports, covers the Eagles. Uh, Dave Zangrano is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dave, a guy that we probably have not talked about enough or should um, is Rodney McLeod, who um, inserted into the starting lineup back in September after rookie Nick Cross struggled, and he's been very steady at the back end of this defense. Um, I know he's got a lot of history with the Eagles. I think a ton of ties to the Philadelphia community as well. Um, he's probably a little bit on the Colts side of things, a chess piece for them this week. I, I would guess Matt Ryan has had his ear a whole lot in just wanting to hear a little bit more about the Eagles personnel, Jonathan Gannon, etc. cetera. Uh, what did Rodney McLeod kind of mean to that Eagles defense in his time there? He was a huge part of this team. Uh, I don't think they won a Super Bowl without him. He was that vital to that team and uh, one of the greatest guys we've had here. You know, he was uh, one of the, a joy to cover for me. Um, and he was a really solid player. A lot of times he was overshadowed here because so much of his time was next to Malcolm Jenkins, who was a pro bowler during that run. But Rodney was so steady. And after Malcolm left, he really became the leader of that defense. He, he assumed that role, became a captain, and uh, he was the one getting his team fired up, or at least on the defensive side of the ball, every week. Uh, so he meant a lot to this team. It was kind of a shame when they didn't bring him back, especially when I saw what the contract he got was. I mean, they, they certainly could have afforded it. Uh, they chose to move on, and things are working out for the Eagles, obviously. They're they're 8-0, but, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of respect for Rodney McLeod, certainly. Now, Dave, if I'm not mistaken, you know, you have the unique perspective of being, especially in a market the size of Philadelphia, you're a native of the area, correct? I am, yes. Okay, so, because, you know, a lot of times in a, in a market that big, you get a lot of the transient stuff. So you'd be the perfect person to ask here. Um, if somebody is going to Philly, like, I think maybe I got a little bit duped when I've, I've been to Philly several times, but I can't remember which cheesesteak place I went to, but I think it was like the tourist one. Is there one that, that if you are a Philly native and you go to get a, a cheesesteak that you know that you're a native because that's the one you're going to and you're you're rolling your eyes at the one that all the tourists go to? Uh, you know, even the tourist spots are still good. I always say that. It's, you know, pe- people act in, in the city, people act like they have stopped in their favorite cheesesteak place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and look, they're all really good. And it, it's a personal preference thing. Yes, the, the, the touristy ones are there, but even if they put out a good product, so I won't knock them either. All right, fair enough. I can't remember the one. The one I went to was underneath an overpass. That's all I remember, and it was really good. Pat you went to Tony Luke's, yeah. Pat so, and Gino's across from each other? No, which which is the one I went to, Dave? I'm guessing you went to Tony Luke's. Okay. That, is that is that Did I get duped? Is that a big tourist spot? It, it, kind of, but it's good. It's very good. Yeah. It's, you know, they're all really good. It I'm not going to knock any of them. Yeah. Next time you're in town, go to Angela's. That's my personal favorite. All right, Angela's. So that's what I want. I, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to say, hey, um... This guy that I mispronounced his name was still nice enough to tell me this is the place I need to come, right? Yeah, exactly. Dave, last one from me. Obviously, the Colts are in the midst of looking for a new head coach, and who knows? Maybe it's the guy on the home sidelines this Sunday in Jeff Saturday. Something that impressed me about Nick Sirianni, I thought he'd be a little in over his head. Um, I thought he'd take on play calling duties, and I thought he'd just be overwhelmed. Um, I thought he did a great job of not doing that, and to me, he's got two attributes that – you know, NFL owners have to really, really like, and that would be a guy that can connect with players right away. He's a dude you want to have a beer with. And then secondly, 
uh, his offensive mind. You know, even if Shane Steichen, their OC, leaves, you know, you're still going to have that core offense uh, in there. What do you think has made him so successful so early in Philly? Uh, a lot of reasons. I, I think you mentioned a few of them. Uh, certainly his offense is the offense, but it goes way beyond that. And I think so many owners get into that trap where they hire the best offensive or defensive mind and they overlook so many of the duties a head coach has. And the Eagles didn't do that. Nick Sirianni is a great communicator. He connects with everyone. And it's interesting because at the beginning of his rookie season, he did call plays and he handed it over to Shane Steichen, which... You know, I don't think a lot of rookie head coaches would do that. There's too much pride involved, uh, and he never let that get to him. And he, he handed over play-calling duties, and it went well. So this year, he said, Shane, you're, you're up again. You're doing it. Um, the team has been very good to make sure everyone realizes it's still Nick's offense. He's still heavily involved in, in the game plan, obviously. And then even uh, during the game, it, he's in Shane's year about, you know, the at least the ideas they want to get to. Uh, but Shane's calling the plays, and I, I actually see that as a, a real positive sign for Nick Sirianni that he was humble enough to, to hand that over because I think a lot of young coaches would just be stubborn and they'd say, no, this is why you hired me, I'm going to do this, and he had the foresight not to get uh, boxed in there. All right, Dave, I'm going to do buy one, get one on the way out with you here. Um, I realize Eagles is your primary beat, but in Philly, just through osmosis alone, there's a lot of talk about the Sixers. Joel Embiid, when he's healthy, is an absolute beast, but at 7-7, seven and seven, what's going on with Philly? Yeah, it's been a little disjointed so far. It kind of feels like they're all playing their own individual yeah. game, uh, and it's not thinking up right now. Harden's out for a while, which is a shame because he was playing better very early, so... Once they get him back, we'll, we'll see how it all kind of meshes. But uh, as long as they have him beat, I, I like their chances to get you know, into the playoffs and make a run. So we'll see. Yeah, he is an absolute beast, man. He is a unicorn. Hell of a player. <laughs> he really is. Dave, appreciate it. Dave Zangaro from NBC Sports in Philadelphia. And uh, enjoy. When you come to Indianapolis for the game, I will tell you that the tourists go to St. Elmo, but it's pretty darn good anyway. So enjoy it if you're going to go there, all right? All right, thanks. Thanks, I Dave. appreciate it. Dave Zangara right there from NBC Sports. Uh, I think something that, coming out of Sunday, Jake, that didn't really note, you know, so much attention to Jeff Saturday's debut, Matt Ryan back under center. That's the first time I've seen a fully healthy Jonathan Taylor in probably over a month. And you talk about just supporting your quarterback, and you look at what the Eagles have struggled with lately, it's not like they're playing these bona fide running backs. It's not Saquon Barkley running for 200 on Right. Them. It's Brian Robinson last week. It was Damian Pierce you know, a few weeks back. Um, a healthy Jonathan Taylor, if that is there now moving forward, maybe you do start to incrementally get to the support of your quarterback that was severely lacking. In September and October. I could go for an Angelo's Philly steak and cheese. Doesn't that sound good? I feel like bad Philly cheesesteaks like bad pizza, it's still good. <laughs> you're right. You know? Yeah, you're right. I remember the place we went, it was kind of like, maybe this is a, a, a Philly steak and cheese thing, because they do the same at Penn Station. They certainly do at Five Guys, even though it's a f- burger place, where I got a fries and then they brought me half of Lower Idaho. Seriously. 
Yeah, you're right. Here is Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> yeah, that's Literally. Right. That's right. Uh, I thought potatoes were nutritious when I was a kid. They really don't have any nutritional value, do they? Now, is he uh, referring to Angelo's Pizzeria? Because that's what it says. It says Angelo's in South Philly. Cash only, takeout only. Cash only usually is a pretty good indicator. Mm-hmm. Patty's of Jamaica just went to credit cards like a year ago. I saw Holiday World's going cashless. Really? Well, you don't need any cash anyway for the free soft drinks, right? And sunscreen. (laughs) Kev jumped right in on the free sunscreen. When you got some frail skin, that's key. Uh, Does this matter or not? And I felt like I've done this with Colts quarterbacks over the past few years. The Colts have obviously had these one-year QBs. And oftentimes, they will come from a place of teams that the Colts then play the next year. So, for example, Matt Ryan played the Eagles last year. He faced Jonathan Gannon's defense. Do you think that has any bearing on Sunday? And do you care what Matt Ryan did against the Eagles last season? Well, it also means the Eagles are familiar with Matt Ryan. Right. right? I mean, you can I, you, know you, I mean? you can look at it from from both sides. But like, do you think that do you think that matters? Like Matt Ryan, for example, last year Matt Ryan in the season opener. Falcons Eagles was 21 of 35 for 164 yards. The Falcons lost 32 to 6 to the Eagles. Matt Ryan was not blitzed, had one of his more wasn't blitzed very often, had one of his one of the more erratic days of last season. If, uh, if put there any was stock into that. If there was an advantage Kevin, it would be advantage Matt Ryan just because he is seeing for the most part, the same scheme and personnel as a year ago, whereas the Eagles are seeing Matt Ryan with a different personnel around him. So there is a variable difference. So it's not from, Jonathan Gannon saying, I know how to disrupt no, Matt Ryan. I, yeah, I, I think I think it's really – I mean, it's fun to think about like familiarity – between teams and whatever else but in you know these are professional athletes and they have an entire week to do nothing but look at film and get familiar with people i think for the most part they have a pretty good idea Uh, nick sirianni of course the oc here the head coach uh the other two coaches that were on the frank reich staff that have pretty prominent roles in philly Uh, jonathan gannon's their defensive coordinator he was the db coach here kind of the cornerbacks coach here in indy and then their passing game coordinator kevin patula was here in indy in kind of a similar role. Sirianni would be very high on my list, Jake, of I'd like to have a beer with him and talk some football. PBR? PBR party? Derek said he's coming to my PBR party, by the way, so the, the list is growing. What would you say to Nick Sirianni if he had a beer? We have Matt Ryan. <laughs> You've been waiting all day, haven't you, Mark? You've been wait- We're glad you woke up, Mark. Thank you. There's going to be some moments Sunday where Sirianni will, and some Colts defenders will start chirping with him. That was a very prominent thing in practice where if the offense made a big play, he would make sure the defense knew about it and uh, vice versa. I think Kenny Moore, Forrest Buckner, Zaire Franklin, those guys will be chirping. Uh, speaking of chirping, one team was doing exactly that last night. We should mention that here in the morning checkdown. <laughs> The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And that team was the Ball State men's basketball team. Michael Lewis's group now 2-1. How about and that segue by you? After a 7-1, thank you. Thank you. 71-61 win over Peyton Manning's favorite team, Omaha. 
Jalen Wyndham had 15, Jalen Sellers and Demarius Jacobs 12 each for the cards. Other winners around the state yesterday, Notre Dame 82-70 over Southern Indiana. It was Southeast Missouri 67-61 over Evansville and Chicago State over Valpo 87-74. If you want me to rant for another 20 minutes on the Notre Dame television viewing from last <laughs> night, just let me know and I will be happy. Did you, now, what did you do? for the final So segment. when you tuned in for the, the game and you were forced to watch Duke and Wake Forest volleyball, yeah. Did you you watch the volleyball? Obviously, did you follow on your phone or a tablet? Like, what yeah, did you do? Phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I followed on the phone. I was flipping back and forth between Wake Forest, Duke volleyball. You and know the that the ACC game. network you could have watched it on your phone. I was struggling to to uh, get the stream going. Trust me. Well, I tried that. Wait till you Max, turn fifty. Was Max say. was screaming. I, I it was just an utter nightmare. You know there are Go to your annual physical and tell them that. <laughs> Pacers last night one twenty five one thirteen. Uh, they have now won six of. Eight, the Pacers. Uh, they first time above 500 since February 2021. Turner, Halliburton, Mather, and Jake. Who were you most impressed with last night? I, I thought it was pretty balanced. Really, uh, Matherin's lightning in a bottle scoring is always impressive, right? He could score quickly and score in bunches. Uh, but I think Halliburton last night was the better player on the floor. And that game probably means a little more. Lamelo Ball, same draft class. That's right. I was very wrong on LaMelo Ball. I just labeled I, him as a ball and thought he'd be terrible. Totally agree with you. I thought he was a He's really good. Just a cherry pick guy and he is really good. Uh you knew who Shame else is really good last night. Um he's kind of he's LaMelo Ball durability has been like I guess the one uh issue with him. You know one guy I always like it when you see a player that gets drafted somewhere and it's, I'm not going to say labeled a bust but never really gets opportunity so they send him to a new um, franchise, and then he blossoms, and you're happy for him. Bull Bull, who is Manute Bull's son, that yeah. out of Oregon mm-hmm. uh, last night, 26 and 12 for Orlando. That's like his fifth straight double double. I feel like now Orlando getting... has 37 guys, six nine or taller. Yeah, you're not lying about that, man. But Orlando what enough. Minnesota 126, 108. Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns. 65 between them, 35 and 30, respectively, last night. Other winners in the association, Thunder, Celtics, Raptors, Bucks, Pelicans, Rockets, Knicks, and the Phoenix. We'll see the Magic twice coming up here before they head out west. Tonight, it's Thursday One night. For each bowl. It's Thursday night football. Can't believe I almost laughed at that. Uh, <laughs> Titans in Lambeau, or at Lambeau, I should say, three-point underdog. You like taking the Titans there? They have covered seven straight. You know what? I'm going to give Green Bay a little bit of benefit here on a bump of starting to figure things out. Aaron Rodgers likes to say relax. I'm going to say Packers fans can do exactly that. Short week, overtime for the Packers. Does that matter at all? No. Mark? What? Titans or Packers? <laughs> what do you think? I, uh, speak with your <laughs> head, not your heart. Don't be question was that. Yeah, I think, I think the cow... The, Packers got a lucky win over the Cowboys. It was a nice... Hey, we're not so bad. Asking I think the Titans are going to run all over them tonight. Yeah. No surprise. You guys see Taylor Heineke starting again. He's my fantasy quarterback against you this week, so I'm hoping for some Boy, big numbers. Is, is that, that one a, guy offered you a trade yet? Is not yet. Bye week for yeah, the starter? Two has got a bye. I was going so to say, go Taylor geez. Heineke. Uh, I, I did that in another league. It did not work out very well for me. On the Colts front, speaking of quarterbacks, Matt Ryan benched for the first time in his career a few weeks back. Um, he spoke about that yesterday as, yes, indeed, he is the starter coming up on Sunday. The one constant is you can't assume anything in this league. You know, you just you can't make the assumption that you know how things are going to shake out. You just don't. And so, um, 
like I said, you, you you just keep that mindset that you don't know how the week's going to shake out. You try and get yourself, you know, in a, in a good space mentally and, and physically. And uh, I think, you know, part of that too, rehabbing during that time of, of trying, you know, to feel better and, and get myself to a good place kind of helped me through that. I think one thing to note on Ryan, and we brought this up with Paris Campbell earlier in the week, Jake, um, when Chris Ballard walked into that team meeting last Monday and said to them that Frank Reich had been fired, there was about a two-hour period where they didn't know who the interim head coach would be. And I'm sure for guys, they probably thought, boy, it's going to be someone outside this building. If it was somebody right. inside the building, you just would announcement uh, announce that. And Matt Ryan, who had just been benched, He's the one that spoke up in that team meeting about, hey, we got to band together. We got to make sure that we stick together through this. Um, I know we throw out the word professional and true pro and all of those things a lot. I think it certainly applies to Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, what was it I, I heard the other day? We have Matt Ryan. That's right. That's what you heard. Uh Really good line that basically just said the Colts had given up on Matt Ryan, but Matt Ryan never gave up on the Colts. Yeah, Kravitz had that. Yeah. As his headline. That's right. That was that's a strong, strong line. Butler uh, and St. Francis tonight. I think that's the Pennsylvania St. Francis. Scotty confirming that immediately. Scotty has brought in the pop quiz. So we're set to go. Have you looked at the pop quiz yet? I'm scrolling through it right now, and I don't know if I'll have time for it today, but you know, I mentioned uh, our media room trivia. Uh, earlier in the week, the Heisman Trophy one I threw at you guys, the last Heisman Trophy winner that didn't play quarterback or went to Alabama. The other one that was thrown out that I really struggled with was the colleges that are a color. Not their nickname, the actual name of the school. Like Brown? Brown, for example. Okay. Nate Atkins said there's five of them. If you guys want to simmer on that, we'll, we'll, we can throw it okay. on the pop quiz. I actually have a great question for Scotty, but I don't want to double up, so I'll do mine tomorrow. How's that? Okay. All right, pop quiz time coming up next. 317-239-1070. Jiffy Lube oil change. Up for grabs. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Is your mic on? No, my... Thank God it wasn't. He was talking all over the open. We have Brown. We have Auburn. Rehash what we're... What we're doing here. These are the five Division One college basketball programs where the school is a color. Correct. Not the nickname. And again, okay. credit to Nate Atkins from the star. I believe it is five. And so far, I would say very efficiently, Jake, you've gotten four of them. And the four that I got are Bowling Green, Navy, Auburn, and Brown. Right? I would say the last one is the most difficult. And that's because the color is obscure or the team is obscure? I'd say a little bit of both. I thought. My hint, and I, Jake, this probably falls more into your brain. I mean, this team has had NCAA tournament success uh, within the last uh, 10-ish years. Uh, a mid-major that's had NCAA tournament success in the Eastern time zone. Did you know it was a color? I did not, no. George Mason. Correct color jersey. So a team with a green jersey. Did they have green? Yes, green and yellow, right? Yeah. It's in New York. Oh, wait. Okay. Oh, Sienna. 
The Siena Saints. Yeah. yeah, I think that's one of those obscure. Siena's like an orangish brown. It's like burnt. Isn't burnt Siena a Crayola crayon? Yeah, along with magenta. So that's, that's the five, right? right? I, I I think that is correct. So you have Siena, Brown, Bowling Green, Navy, and Auburn. That's pretty good by you. Now here's the question that I asked Scotty. He's still thinking furiously over there. There is a Heisman Trophy winner whose first name and last name are both the last names of a different Heisman Trophy winner than themselves. So their first name is the last name of a Heisman Trophy winner, and their last name is a shared last name of another Heisman Trophy winner. Wow. In other words, like, so you get what I'm saying, Uh right? Sure. Scotty is thinking intently over there. Pop quiz questions will hopefully be easier than these. Uh, 317-239-1070. Jake, number one through eight. Uh, Number one through eight, I will go with uh, number six. Dominique. Dominique, how are you? Hey, what's going on? Dominique, your favorite... Let's go with your favorite NFL team, not named the Colts. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. That's cool. Hey, I got them in my Survivor this week against the Panthers. Dominique, have you called the program before? I'm batting a thousand. This is my first time calling. Yeah, you wow. sound like a cool guy. Like you just sound like a cool guy. Can we play get to know your listener real quick? We've done this before with people and we've had a lot of success with it. Yeah, let's rock with it. Okay. Uh, see, that's what I like about you, Dominique. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, Dominique, when when you were a senior in high school, do you recall who won the national title in college basketball? Ooh, was it? It was the year that Kentucky played Kansas in the Final Four. Did Kansas win it that year? Uh that would have been well, so down in Kansas played in the national title game, right? No, Kansas beat Kentucky in the Final Four, right, and then got beat by wasn't it Louisville? Was it thirteen? No, I'm a Louisville fan, so I would remember that. Uh, what's going on with your Cardinals right now? Uh, sore subject. Hey, growing pains, growing pains. Look at there. Uh, are you a native, Dominique, of Indianapolis? I am not a native of Louisville. My wife is an Indianapolis native, though. Okay, and do you like Indianapolis? Has it treated you okay? Treated me okay. I went to school up here um, and then stayed up here. So, and, and you graduated from high school in what year? 2010. 2010. Uh, Duke was the national champion, by the way. Uh, Duke Butler, right? Duke, Kansas? Duke and Butler. Duke beat uh, Butler right here. Yeah, Duke and Butler, right. Uh, Kansas and Kentucky in 2012 played each other in the national title game. So the uh, Bellerman loss could not have been good for you, <laughs> Dominique. <laughs> uh, none of these losses have been good. <laughs> yeah, fair. fair. Uh, people are pointing out, very correctly, uh, David and Jason, uh, if Bowling Green counts, why not Wisconsin Green Bay? Uh, that's a good point. Have they taken the Wisconsin off the name? Now it's just Green Bay? Well, all the better. Right. Takes you less work to get to green on that one, right? Packers suck! Dominique, good luck on the pop quiz, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Dominique, would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off with question number one, or would you prefer that Kevin do the honors this morning? Hey, Jake, you have more compliments. Looks like you lead it off. Well, thank you. (laughs) Dominique, if you had to have a a PBR, if you were going to have a beer with one of the two of us, which of the two would you pick? (laughs) Uh... (laughs) It wouldn't be you, Jake. Sorry. Now, why not? <laughs> You're a cool guy. You play some off the wall stuff, though. Okay. No. 
Here I was, all ready to help. Dominic, that's the a compliment. big shot to the ego right there. I mean, come on, man. Boy, there goes any chance you had of getting I mean, here I, here I thought we were like, you know, I thought we hit it off, and then boom, you hit me with that. I'm, well, that's I'm what you get for asking people. that question. I'll still, I'll, I'll still make you feel good, you know what I mean? <laughs> now, there's no greater man of the people than I. Come on now. Or actually, okay. then, um, yeah, then I would be grammatically correct. All right, here we go, Dominic. The Packers host the Titans on Thursday Night Football tonight. Who leads that all-time series? Packers. Okay. You sure? Packers suck! The winning this program, which is going to easily go with them. Good thought process. Number two, the Packers are tied with the Bears, Dominique, for the most regular season wins in NFL history at 789. Which franchise, boy, I would not have got this. Which franchise has lost the most regular season games in NFL history? Actually, I guess that makes sense. Lions, Eagles, Giants, or Cardinals? Who stinks the most? Let's go with the Cardinals. Mexico City for them, Monday night with the 49ers. Dominique, on this day in 2002, Tony Stewart won the first of his three NASCAR Cup Series championships. He was driving for what team whose boss used to coach the Washington football team? It is not multiple choice. It is not multiple choice. Some people call it just. Some people just call it JGR. Mike Shanahan, Ron Rivera, Joe Gibbs. Let's go with Joe Gibbs. Okay. Oh, because he wore the hat. He wore that racing hat because somebody passed away. Yeah, let's go with him. He has been in the news, right? Was that his his son? Right. Tragically. Um, Celtics ran their winning streak to eight games with a victory in Atlanta last night. Interim coach Joe Mazzula, ironically enough, a member of that 2010 Final Four with West Virginia, is now 12-3 in his coaching career, named the only Celtics coach to get off to a better start through 15 games in his NBA coaching career. Um, let's throw A, Brad Stevens, B, Chris Ford, C, Bill Russell, D, Casey Jones. Let's go with. Let's go with four. All right, last question for you, Dominic. Good Jimmy said he sat next to Brad Stevens at the games the other night. Really? At Gamebridge Fieldhouse. That's cool. That one the of the many game. NBA personnel that were uh, that was there. Right. All right, here we go, Dominic. The last question for you. This year, the Cy Young Award, both guys that won it, did so unanimously. That's the first time that's happened since 1968. Can you name either winner in 1968? One of them actually got the mound lowered because of his pitching prowess and his low ERA for the St. Louis Cardinals. He is an African-American that wanted to play basketball at Indiana, but instead played it, I believe, at Creighton, uh, played baseball, and is a native of Omaha. The other one oftentimes is mistaken for the guy that sang American Pie. Oh... <laughs> uh. Let's go with let's go with uh Bobby Gibson. Good nice. Nice. nice job there, Dominique, in closing that one. Denny McLean, the wow. other one, is one of a handful of Cy Young Award winners who also has been locked up. Fergie Jenkins, Lamar Hoyt, those two come to mind immediately. You have some great baseball games out in the courtyard of the old prison. <laughs> Can you there. imagine? Right? <laughs> That's right. I won't be saving any arms there. I'm pitching till I'm done. <laughs>
Uh, Packers host the Titans tonight. Unfortunately for Dominique, I understand the rationale with it. He went with the Packers as the all-time leader in the series. The correct answer. I would have let him down that path, but Dominique picked you for the beer. So, <laughs> too bad, so sad your dad. Titans was the correct answer. Arizona, Joe Gibbs racing. Bill Russell. And then Denny McLean and Bob Gibson for number five. Dominic sounds like a cool dude, though, despite his poor taste in companions for a beer. Oh, I thought it was a great, great answer by Dominique <laughs> on that. I appreciate you calling in, Dominique, and thank you for tuning in. We'll close it out one final time. Um, I know JMV talked with Edron James yesterday, and if you guys missed that, um, cool documentary coming up on NFL Network about Edge. We'll explain more to close it out. So my convoluted trivia question that I asked Scotty, I think I mentioned it on the air, right? After the color question? Did I not mention it on the air? Okay, sorry. I thought I mentioned it on the air, and so I thought, well, I better give the answer then. But my convoluted question, which Scotty got, kudos to him, the only Heisman Trophy winner whose first name and last name are both last names of other Heisman Trophy winners? And the answer is George Rogers of South Carolina, who's kind of an obscure Heisman Trophy winner, truth be told. Decent pro career. Um, But, of course, his first name, George, was later won by Eddie George, and then Rogers, the same as Johnny Rogers, who won it the year I was born in Nebraska. That's a good one. Um, Was Edron James a Heisman Trophy finalist? See, I don't know when Edron James played. I mean, Ricky Williams certainly would have won it, right? Yeah, but back then... I don't know when they started doing the finalist thing, like where they have like the three finalists that come to New York. It didn't used to be that way. It would just be, they would have, you know, it used to be that the Heisman Trophy, the, the balloting would have like 12 names on it. You know, you'd be like, so, like Mark Herman came in seventh in the Heisman Trophy. I mean, now don't they just announce three or four finalists and they're voted upon that? Wow, I'm pulling up the list right now for the 98 Heisman Trophy. Ricky Williams... I mean, 714 first place votes. Michael Bishop, second from Kansas State. Casey Klein. Uh, what was the kid's name? Klein from Kansas State. He was in there somewhere, right? Uh, well, Bishop is a Kansas State quarterback. Okay. Cade McNown from UCLA and Tim Couch from do you know Kentucky. A, do you remember that time? I think it was on this show when someone asked if I could do the Indy 500 winners. Yeah, yeah, I do remember. So that. scroll back. Um, Kevin, are you looking at Heisman winners? Uh, I was just looking at that year. Okay. If you go to a list of Heisman winners, this is I, I only have two skill sets, and unfortunately neither have translated to algebra. Um, but if you go to like do you have let me know when you have the list yeah, of yeah, Heisman. Yeah, okay, we'll go with the year I was born, which was seventy two. I was born in seventy two. Uh-huh. That's Johnny Rogers, right? Correct. And then seventy three is John Capaletti. Yes. Seventy four and five is Archie Griffin. Seventy six is Dorsett. Seventy seven is Campbell. Seventy eight is Sims. Seventy nine is White. Eighties Rogers. Eighty one is Allen. Eighty two is Walker. Eighty three is Rozier. Eighty four is Flutie. Eighty five is Jackson. Eighty six is Testaverde. Eighty seven is Brown. Eighty eight Sanders. Eighty nine is Ware. Nineties Detmer. Ninety one is Howard. Ninety two is Toretta. Ninety three. This is where it starts to get blurry for me. Is Salam ninety three? Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward, 93, sorry. And then... Uh, that was Warf- damn impressive. Warfel? Is, what year is Warfel? Uh, it goes Salam, 94, Eddie George, 95, Warfel, 96. 96, yeah. 97, of course, is Charles Woodson, right? Yeah, that's Woodson, Manning, Moss, yeah. right? No! 
Thank you. And w- what happened around the early 2000s is, and Scotty may disagree with me here, but it kind of shifted to... You stopped being a loser? Well, it was... <laughs> That's right. Kevin with the haymaker. I mean, That's obviously, right. it takes one to, 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 to once you, one, you know? I mean, I'm a Notre Dame basketball fan over here. No, the Heisman kind of shifted. It, ha- it went through a weird phase where they they got away from it being the best player in college football to simply being the best player on the best team. So well, all of a sudden you end up with like Eric Crouch and, well, and Jason the White, on the, best the, the quarterback of the best team, right? And they got finally they started to kind of get back to look. Let's just give it to the best player. You know, the the year that really I think irked a lot of people around here was '89 when Anthony Thompson. Anthony Thompson was in the Heisman race all year long, got a lot of buzz for it. Then he had a couple of bad weeks and kind of fell off the radar. And then he had 377 yards against Wisconsin. That put him back into the forefront. And a lot of people thought he was going to win it, and particularly in the bucket game when Indiana was down and Purdue had to kick with like the final minute of the game. And Bill Mallory put Anthony Thompson in as the kick returner. And he returned it, I think, to like the – the eight yard line, maybe he had like a ninety yard kick return, and all Indiana had to do was kick a field goal to win the bucket, go to a bowl game, and that would have cemented Anthony Thompson, I think, as the Heisman winner. Scott Bedell missed the field goal, and Andre Ware won the Heisman. And people around here were ready. like, people in Indiana are like, "That's it, we're never paying attention to this award ever again." Like people were livid over it, or the football program. You could argue. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Edger and James, football life, Jake. Nine o'clock on Friday, NFL Network. For those that have watched many of the football lives over the years that they've done, outstanding. Um, One hour, um, very in-depth look at these guys' life. And for Edge, it'll be a lot of Immokalee, Florida. And then I think it'll be a man that is beyond comfortable in his own skin. Uh, (laughs) Some of the scenes from the post-game locker room. This Sunday, you know, he was on with John yesterday and said pretty much, yeah, I was supposed to go to L.A., but when I saw Jeff Saturday was interim head coach, I had to change of plans. We had to go to Vegas first. That's awesome. Edger and James, the most underrated aspect of Edger and James as a football player, in my opinion, was his ability to block a blitz. Right away, like as a rookie. Yeah, I mean, he, he just – I think he was a – I think Edrin James's optics, and I mean, I'm not saying anything here that hasn't been said a million times since he got in the Hall of Fame. The optics of Edrin James combined with his very thick Floridian accent when he was a young player, I think fooled people into thinking that he was not, or not realizing, I should say, that he was not a really, he's a really intelligent guy. Just a smart guy. Just, you want to talk about doing things his own way you know, working out on his own and not being around the team in the offseason, people took that as a slight, and it's like, no. I mean, he would show up in better shape than anybody, man. I know I've shared this before, but my grandmother wanted to be buried in burial site 32 because her favorite player was Edron James. Are you serious? Dead serious. Is she in 32? She is. (laughs) Dead serious. (laughs) About graveyard talk. Mark, she she died last week, Mark. Did she? Mother's deceased. Unbelievable. I apologize. I'm just saying. I just was like, well, you said dead serious. I was like, was that on purpose? (laughs) Wait a minute. If she died last week, you wouldn't know his. his, No, she died. She hasn't gone to the plot yet, right? She died about a decade ago. (laughs) 
<laughs> Did she get in 32? I, I still can't believe Mark made the joke. <laughs> I mean, no wonder we're you, stuck in mud, know. ranked 22nd in these mid-market. You know, dead right? from you dead, know, dead to me, uh, debut, or dead to be season three comes out tonight. Oh, you man. can watch that, Mark. Make some more jokes. Tuning into that one. Isn't it just kind of like... Widely known that dead jokes are probably something like you just don't go down that path. You feel the room out first. You know? You jump right in head first. All right, Mark, see what happened at Crackers tonight. Going to be the open mic night. A lot of dead jokes. (laughs) Are you on your way home from the funeral home? Stop by to see Mark. Show hands. Whose relatives are dead here? I'm going to go after you now, sir. Boy, can't wait to turn on football life and immediately think back to my grandma coming up Friday night. Set your DVRs 9 p.m. Friday night. And for those that missed it, Edge was. Was outstanding. He's always with good, John man. Yesterday, he's always good. You know, a mo- the pride of Immokalee, Florida. I mean, you could have gone a lot of ways with that, Mark. His- well, Chat says I'm in the right. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I thought I just- you were going to bring up his son. Remember his son, Jizzle, who just yeah. committed yeah. to Cincinnati. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about <laughs> dead people okay. and Jizzle James. <laughs> smooth smooth really transition going out on there, a high right? note here. <laughs> Do we? Our, Jake has ripped up his notes. I, it, it literally are those notes over there. I don't even know what those. Ten are. o'clock comes slowly, doesn't it? That last, the you last couple of minutes, usually we come to a sputtering stall. <laughs> wow, Butler and St. Francis tonight over at Hinkle. It's Thursday too bad night. we don't have this energy at like seven. Thursday night football: Titans and Packers. A lot of Packers fans here in the Indy Market tonight to see. I'll be sadly disappointed. Colts can get a lot of help. So they try to get back into the race. We'll preview Colts and Eagles tomorrow and round it out. Talk to you tomorrow.